Welcome in, everybody, to Tour Life. We've got a fun episode today. We're talking Simon Lazat hot takes. We've got Eagle back in the winner's circle and Jennifer Allen taking down her first big win of her career, essentially. And yep. hopefully we'll have her come on as well. We'll see. That's kind of TBD. We will be having Simon come on. Eagle won't be able to make it with us. He did say rain check. So hopefully we'll get him on the podcast at, at some point. Me and Yuli are in the same hotel, probably like 50 feet away from one another. However, we're not in the same room because of the whole microphone situation. Yuli, how's it going here? How's the Wi-Fi first off? Well, it's good. I'm hooked up to my personal hot top because the Wi-Fi is currently down in the hotel, which is just kind of our luck. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is my second hotel this week. I had yeah. to, I had to get rid of my first hotel cause that was just a no go. And, uh, I thought this one would be much better. No, it's not. So if I do cut out, Yuli will run the show while I set up my hotspot with my phone and we'll go that way. Yeah. It's looking like we might need to like get into this hotspot T-Mobile situation for future. I mean, it, it, we're in 2023. You would think every hotel you would stay at would have workable Wi-Fi. No, I, f- not, I feel like it's just our MO. It's either the microphones aren't working. The Wi-Fi doesn't work. Crackle. Something. Something. With that being said, though, we do have a sponsor for tonight with all, with all the complications well, that we have to deal with. We possible. do have, we do have a sponsor. Big shout out to Manscaped. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? Yuli, are you ready to unveil your beach? Not quite, buddy. Okay. Not quite. Well, Manscaped is here to help you to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game changing full body grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin Powers chest hair. It's time to get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code tour life. Whether you're trimming your chest or your, or the treasure chest in your pants. Wow. This is the best trimmer on the market. Their trimmer features a ceramic blade designed to cut hair on loose skin and to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to advanced skin safe technology. You also get two free gifts, the shed travel bag and the patented high performance, reduced chafing manscape boxers. I have worn the boxers before. Very nice. Very nice boxers. Having the right tools for grooming is essential. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code tourlife at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code tourlife at manscaped.com. Thanks so much for Manscaped for sponsoring Tour Life. So go help them out as well because if they support us, we want you guys to support them as well. Manscaped. Uh, we might be having a package shipped your way too for Manscaped. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm curious to see what you like and whatnot. I have used their products before. Like I said, I use their boxers. I've also used the Lawnmower 4.0, which has like a light on it, which is super crucial Whoa. if you kind of have bad lighting in your bathroom. Um, but yeah, great products. And uh, again, thanks to Manscaped for sponsoring this podcast. All right. Last week I went through, I said, you know what, Yuli? I said, we have a crazy awesome fan base on the YouTubes and on the podcast platforms for tour life. I said, it is time tour life gets its own social media platforms. So if you did not know, we now are on Twitter. Silas will pull it up. We now have a Twitter account 
tour life underscore pod on Twitter, where we'll be posting not only like clips from the show, but also who get what guests we might be having coming on. Um, we might be having polls. We'll, we'll interact there as much as we can. Um, I'm not sure if size can pull it up. There it is. What are we at right now? Size. How, how many is that? Are we at 300 yet? 294. So make sure you go over, check out our Twitter. We also are on Instagram as well. Our Instagram handle is tour life underscore podcast here. You're going to mostly see clips from the show. Um, so if you weren't able to catch the entire show or maybe the interview, uh, you were, it was getting a little bit too long. You had to go to bed. You can go on there and see some of the best clips yeah. and stuff from there as well. We're on Facebook at tour life podcast on Facebook. And we're also on TikTok Now, hopefully Silas can pull up the TikTok. Um, we're at tour life podcast on TikTok. We have three followers. One of them being myself. Another one being Ezra, because I literally was like, Ezra, you need to follow us immediately right now on TikTok because we only have two followers. If you have a TikTok, make sure you go follow Tour Life Podcast. I don't know if we can get that up there or any of the other Facebook or Instagrams potentially. Silas, how's that looking? No bueno? Okay. All right. Well, Silas will pop those up on socials here for you guys to check out. Um, But with that being said... Also, thanks to all our channel members. It's very cool going through the comments and seeing the little badges next to your name and obviously in the live chat here too. We just had Donnie Harden, best disc golf show by far. Thank you, Donnie. We appreciate it. If you're not a member of the Tour Life crew, that's what we call our members here on YouTube. Check it out. Click the join button right under the YouTube thing. You get a cool little badge. Your your comments basically get highlighted. All right, there, there's our tour life podcast. Are, do, are we still at three followers? It looks like it, but 21 likes. That's solid. That's not bad. We're gonna push for having four. only three. Let's see if we can get some double digit double digit uh, followers on our on our tour life podcast TikTok. Ima- could you imagine, Yuli, if we get TikTok famous? For tour life, I couldn't either. It could be incredible. I think one of the issues that we have right now is all of our clips are not of us. So hopefully, this podcast we can get. We just didn't say anything, I guess, of importance last podcast. It was all of our guests. So hopefully, this week we can say something of importance and get some of our own clips on there. Because um, right now, it's literally all of Paige and Nate Sexton, which is not some hot that bad. takes from the boys. I yeah. think we could do it. We might have to spit some facts here at the end of the show and see what we got. All right. Um, So thank you guys. Make sure you go check out our socials. Also, thanks so much to all of our channel members as well. All right. That's pretty much all I have with that. We can get into the show now. Beaver State Fling went down last week. We are currently like two hours north. And then we're actually going to head back down to the Portland area area for the Portland Open. So we've got like three tournaments, three weeks in a row, all in a very small little spot. But the Beaver State Fling had some of the more... There were some interesting things that went down. And we'll get into those very shortly here. But I kind of want to just talk real quickly about a story that happened to me. And then, Yuli, if you have anything... This is the only important thing I have that went down for me. So if you have anything, please let me know. Hole 17, that was like the, my opinion, one of the better holes on the course. It made you have to really think what you were going to do for your second shot and what you were going to do for your third shot. 
My interesting thing happened on 17 as well. So you go, then I'll go. Heck yeah. Okay. So how hole 17 works is it's the, it's the old genius hole tee shot. So we're up super high. We've got trees on our left trees on our right. And we're basically throwing a big tee shot down straight that then fades over to the left. There's a street that's just left of the fairway. That's OB. But then on the other side of the street, now we have, we've basically have combined those two holes to create this incredible par five. So you basically want to throw your first shot pretty far, try to get as left as possible with staying in bounds. Then you're going to throw your second shot up and over. And then you throw onto this small little Island that's surrounded by pavement. Essentially that's all OB great designed hole. Love it. All the vendors and staff were parked in the parking lot that was behind the green. Yeah. The way to get in and out of the actual course was on the street that ran through this hole. So essentially, if you were one of the vendors or whatnot, you couldn't really leave without getting in the way of people playing that hole. What I was told was vendors and stuff were basically told like, Hey, once you're kind of here, you're here. We don't really want to have cars going up and down the road. That hole also, because of just the way it was set up, that hole also had a huge, huge backup. So when we got up to the hole, uh, I think it was like Jake Hebenheimer was in front of me and he just rips this thing on Heiser gets all the way over to the left-hand side of the, of the, the fairway over the road, left. So now he's, so now he has like a really easy shot. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like that's actually doable. I haven't, we did me and Ezra tried it like once in practice, didn't do it. But when you see someone do it, you start thinking like, Oh, okay. That's not bad. My round at the time wasn't the greatest. I I had kind of made a huge par stretch leading up to it. So I was in that like aggressive mode of where it's like, okay, I got it. I got to do something here. So We sat up on the tee box for a very long time, waiting for them to get out of the way. We get the green flag. So I'm like, all right, my turn to go. I launch my drive to try to get on the other side. Like Hebenheimer does the disc is coming down, hits the road. So it's going to get a big flare skip onto the other side. Well, unbeknownst to me, there is a van sitting right there. I obviously didn't see it because you can't really see it from the tee. One of the pl- people I was playing with was like, oh my God, dude, you just hit a van. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, there's just a van in the road. I'm like, okay. So I, I was like, I got to I gotta talk to these spotters. I got to see what the heck happened. Long story short, it wasn't really the spotter's fault. It was the one vendor that wasn't really a part of the disc golf pro tour. I guess it was like a local tea company or something that like last minute or something decided to come out. So they were just, you know, ditching early, not really following the rules. And they just happened to stop. I don't know why they stopped. They just happened to stop in the one spot you, you can't stop in. Um, so I had a funny little comment uh, along the lines of like, well, it's a good thing we're, you know, this, this one shot is just going to cost me, you know, $25 and not, you know, $25,000. Cause that would have hurt a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, that was, that was one of the more unfortunate things that have ever happened to me where a car just stops right in the road. Cause they were driving. Apparently when I was getting ready to throw yeah. it, they started driving and then they just stopped in the one spot that you just can't stop at. 
that's, I mean, that's one of the problems with having what I feel like what they need to do with the courses have all that stuff over there. There's just no parking over there for vendors. They need to move the vending to the backside of the course mm. and then shuttle people to hole one or whatever. I mean, it yeah. would, it would make more sense. I feel like, cause you can't be having cars go up and down and there's a lot of cars even early coming up and down for what is it? Uh, the hole right before 16. Yeah, yeah. 16. So you're having to wait for cars to go. I mean, that's just, I guess that's why it's a silver series. Honestly. Okay. That's awful. You should never hit a car that stopped in the road. Yeah. But it only costs you 25 bucks. This is what happened to me on 17. I won't mm-hmm. say the, I won't say the round and I won't say who this was, but this is what happened to me. I throw my shot down there. It's on the side of the hill, right? So super awkward run up. Yep. I want to hear what your take is on this. I throw my shot, step on my disc, throw it straight left into a tree branch, fall straight down. And I say, well, that was a football, right? Because I okay. just completely stepped on my disc. Okay. Somebody else on the card then goes, yeah, it was. And then okay. I'm like, okay, whatever. I pick up my disc and I start walking and he's like, that was definitely a football. I'm like, Yes, I, I know that because I, I said it was. I then finish the hole, right? I take par, mm-hmm. go over to the next thing, to the bench, and I sit down, and I'm like, they ask me what I got, and I'm like, I got a five. And the person says, well, you got a six. I said, I seconded the football. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know you said that I did it, but there wasn't like a there wasn't a time where he was like, or this person or anybody was like, okay, I second that that's going to be a penalty stroke. We're moving stroke. forward, mm. which I feel like needs to happen right there. It shouldn't happen at the end of the hole. Yeah, I, I agree. I, don't, I, I, I believe that's the way that the rule is, is mm-hmm. that it has to be seconded. You can't just be like, yep, that was definitely a footfall. Move along. I take par. So I'm sitting on the bench and I'm like, I definitely did it. I deserve the stroke because he did second it, Mm -hmm. but he really didn't second it. He just said that I did it. You get what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a weird one for sure. Especially because you called it. And I feel like if had you not said anything, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been called. Yeah. And, and that's, let's be honest. The, the foot faulting situation quite possible. They might need to make a new rule. Because yes. so let me let me change what, what so, am I, yeah go ahead so that I can give you my take this is the way that I take from it I follow the rules I called myself on the footfall mm-hmm. I called it without trying to give myself a stroke I'm going to be honest I wasn't like I footfaulted stroke me because my take on the rule is it is there to make sure that you're policing yourself or the card. For a certain area, that's why you get the certain area behind your disc that is Mm -hmm. whatever, 12 inches by 12 inches. Mm -hmm. It is there so that you don't, in my opinion, it is there so you don't go above your lie by a bunch, Mm -hmm. behind your lie by a bunch, or the big one is side to side. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is, I also, 
I've never seen anybody get stroked for it. And I've been playing a long time. I think I might have seen it one time, but it was like on a Mando to where the guy was going way over here and he didn't even really know. We called him on it. Uh, the next hole, he did the same thing. He mm. Back in the day, you got to just rethrow no penalty. Yeah, the rethrow so was a no, weird one. So there was no stroke. But this is my problem with the rule. Not, And this has nothing to do with the player. Completely in the right to be able to call the rules the way he sees fit. Right. Mm-hmm. But the problem with this rule is there is every single player within the last two weeks, I bet has foot faulted. I mm-hmm. bet in the last two tournaments, every single player. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's some of the pushback that I'll get is like, no, you break the rules. You blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, that's not true because now say, a player is a person who calls rules. I know going into the round that that person is doing that. I'm going to be a little more aware. And this is weird because I also know what's being thought out there is no, you just have to follow the rules. That's it. Yes, we do that. But this is such a tough one because everybody foot faults from time to time on accident, the mini moves, all the time. I, I would say majority of the time too, you don't realize you foot faulted because you're yeah. obviously not looking at your foot when you're throwing. And after you throw a lot of times your foot will, you know, pivot or slide or whatever it will be. So then you like look down and you're like, Oh, I'm good. When in fact you were a foot and a half behind sure. your disc. Right. It's, sure. it's a very, this is why I was saying like, I think the rule needs to be adjusted in some way because when you're just in the middle of the fairway, let's say, is it really that big of an advantage to be just outside that, you know, it's that piece of paper behind the disc. Is it really that much of an advantage being just outside? Now, obviously there is a skill level to hit that piece of paper. When you throw, I'm not disagreeing with that. Agreed. But the way it currently is right now, and it's, it would just get called all the time. And I don't know if yes. that is, but it doesn't, it doesn't, but if everyone, it doesn't started, ever get if everyone started to, and also, and also let, let's be real. Do I need to be standing that close? Like what's more, what I guess to like to, to the, to the entertainment, to the product, is it more important for me to be standing next to the person that's about to throw staring at his footwork, you know, his feet to make sure he doesn't foot fault or should I be standing next to my disc so that way when he's done throwing, I can throw immediately and there's not this big gap. And we, you know, because let's be honest, the rounds out there were not fast. I mean, they yep. were they were three and a half hour plus rounds and we're not playing a massive course. That was not a big course at all. Yep. Three and a half hours to throw the disc like 50 times. That's so bad. That's really not good. So pace of play, like getting, getting the, the, the round started and finished. I just think, I think to myself, like why, you know, the number one reason why people don't watch live is they always tell you, well, I don't have 12 hours to on the weekend to watch. So it's like, man, is is there a way for us to have lead card play the round in two hours? That is so much more digestible, a two hour live round than a three and a half to four hours. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, that obviously would solve the problem for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, it's the rules things, a weird one. It's, it's going to get even more weird when we start seeing more on coverage about it. I kind of, I kind of ran into a couple issues with like spotters in blind spots saying like where this went out of bounds, where we couldn't actually see. And then the player arguing that that spot wasn't correct. And it's just, it puts us, it puts us in a really weird spot of where it's just like this guy's standing right here. We're basically having to tell this guy that has the best point of view. You're lying. Yeah. So I don't know that that's another one. That's tough, but yeah, I don't are know. You, I, are you somebody who polices the card and um, would call a foot fault if they stepped on the disc? It's a, see, I, I would say it depends, which is bad. It shouldn't depend. You should call it every right. time. And that's what my, my point depends. was to the player is listen, if we're going to call this and I called it on myself, let's remember mm-hmm. that <laughs> as a, it was a, it wasn't a point of like, Hey guys, I, I foot faulted. I deserve a stroke. I was pointing out that I foot faulted and it was horrible. It was, mm-hmm. it was a blatant foot fault. My disc went sideways, but the only problem I have with it is is said people who call these things, are they doing it all the time? And my point also is it doesn't matter if I step completely on my disc or if I barely step on it, mm-hmm. a foot fault's a foot fault. So if said player is going to call it, if I step on the disc completely, you got to call it when I barely do it. Yeah. No, right. You're right. No, it, it's, because, it's one of those where we all need to either call it or we all need to not. Yeah. That's, that's when it's, and it, when it was a bummer because, doing it. because I ended up missing cash by one stroke this weekend. Mm. That's one stroke, but I did it. I deserve the penalty stroke. I also talked to the player afterwards, after the tournament was done. And I was like, Hey dude, there's no hard feelings. I promise you, this is my fault. I did it. I deserve the stroke. End of story. I think this, I don't have a problem with that happening. I have a problem with the whole situation of the rule. And I think, I think really the rules and enforcing the rules won't really pick up to where they need to be at like the highest level until players aren't traveling together, living together, being around each other. And then it's also just like known of like, Cause I can see, I can just see how some players are like, well, I don't want to call it on them. Cause I don't want them to get mad at me. And then I could also see players get stuff called on them and they get mad at people. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a tough situation. So, all right, let's look at the scoreboard real quick. We can hopefully pull that up Silas and kind of run down. We'll, we'll run through uh FPO quickly. Like I said, Jen Allen might be joining us. So I, I do have a quite a, a few questions about her. Uh, in her round. So we'll run through kind of FPO right now and then maybe, you know, get a little bit more into it if Jen does join later on. So you have Jennifer Allen taking it down at 23 under par. Her performance, I'm, I'm, her performance was very impressive. She went second and parked at 17%. She was first in C1 and reg at 61%. 
first in C2 in reg at 74% and first in birdies at 48%. She was throwing the crap out of the disc. Um, I Again, it's kind of tough on courses like this where the layouts are so different where I can't, I, I, I can't really speak too much about it. I'm guessing most of the shots are still backhand like it was for MPO, but I can't speak too much about it. It did look like distance probably was a little bit more important, maybe on the FPO side than it was on the MPO side, which obviously will favor her game, but she putted really well too. The, the few times I was able to tune in and watch some of the live, she was putting really, really well. And I mean, obviously confidently enough on hole 18, she had a 25 foot putt that she didn't have to make to win. She could have laid up and tapped in. She went for it, made it cashed in her birdie. So like a very, very impressive, um, tournament. And I mean, how much pressure do you think? Cause this was one of the questions I want to ask her. How much pressure do you think she had to win being in the lead and, and acing the first hole of the, the tournament? Like, is she just like, what, can, what has that happened to you before? Have you ever aced the first hole of any tournament? I have, but I wasn't in the lead. Okay. Um, I feel like it can go two ways. It can be like, however your mind processes it, it can be like, okay, I've aced because she birdied the next four holes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She went ace birdie, birdie, birdie. And now you have a little lead. Now it is do I go into protection mode or am I just on fire? And I feel like because of the performance that she had, it, it it was the latter to where she was just like, no, I'm kind of like, nobody's going to catch me today. Like Mm -hmm. I just got it. Mm -hmm. She's playing with a lot of confidence. I watched a little bit of it myself. And I think her biggest downfall as far as not getting wins before, because she does throw, really good shots. And she has a lot of distance is the, the putter. Mm -hmm. Like the putter breaks down from time to time, especially under pressure from the past. That's what I've seen. You were right. She didn't back down. She made a lot of putts. I remember a certain part of the round. It was like the back nine ish. She had a really tricky putt, like under this branch. And I remember thinking Holland was parked about to get a stroke if she doesn't miss make this and she just Mm -hmm. cashed it. And I was like, okay, like now we got a battle. And it was, it's one of those things where you're just kind of waiting. We've seen this in the FPO field before to where certain players, they don't put well under pressure. They just don't. And so Mm -hmm. you get to the end of the round and you're, and they have those 20 footers, even like 18 footers, and I feel the pressure from the viewer standpoint of being like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. And this, she wasn't handed this tournament, right? Like obviously well, her, her and Holland went back and forth. Now, obviously they didn't really have anyone pressing for a second. Like it was a, a massive gap. There was a 10 stroke uh, gap between Holland and Maria for second and yeah. third, but it wasn't like she was just out in front and was just trying to stay alive. Right. Yeah. She had Holland pressing her throughout yep. the entire round. And like you were saying, like those putts, if they're nervy at the beginning, they get more and more as it goes on. And it wasn't like she was like, Oh, I can just, you know, if I miss this, it's going to be a fine, no worries. 
I mean, it was a, a, a very impressive performance. Now, now, obviously, on the FPO side, the field this week wasn't nearly as strong. And I can see those arguments. But again, you have to beat the people that are there. That's all, that's all you can do. Whoever shows up, those are the people that you have to beat. And she was able to go out and still take down a W over some top players. You know, obviously, Paige wasn't there. Kristen wasn't there. But there was a lot of top players still there. And she dominated. It wasn't like she just won. Yeah. You know, she beat Holland by two. And then, like I said, the next closest was Maria at 12 back. So an absolute dominance perform- dominant performance from her. And and getting Sports Center top 10, too, uh, after that, that must be just like the icing on the cake to, even, sure. to be able to get on that, you know? It, and are we going to see this trend of where... You know, we don't really see it right now on the MPO side, right? All the best players, as far as I know, as of right now, are like sub 32. Maybe even, maybe you can even go lower with Ricky and, and Paul kind of not being really in the equation that much this year. Like, we're looking at the best MPO players being under 25, 26, 27. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you have Jennifer Allen who is playing in a, I believe like a world championship masters event this week. Yep. And then you have own Scoggins who also can be playing masters at the top, like uh, near the top of like a lot of leaderboards this year. Is this, is this kind of a trend that we might see in the FPO division of where as women kind of go throughout their career, they can still compete much, much longer at a higher level than MPO. Well, yeah, well, right now, I mean, that's proven fact. Uh, what was it? I think two years or three years ago when um, Juliana came back yeah. on, she jumped right back in and, and was in contention a lot of times, mm-hmm. just like very fast. And I remember for years and years and years, Des and Elaine were very competitive well into their 40s. Mm. And so it, it is something that we see in the FPO division but the one thing that we're not seeing as much in the FPO division, because there's just not as many FPO players, period, is the young generation of, you know, uh, what uh, Carter shoots a 12 under. He's yeah. 15. Yeah. You know, our best player is, or arguably our best player from time to time is Gannon, and he's 17 or 18. Why, why do you think that is? Why don't you think there is that, that same youth in the FPO division? Just simply they're just not getting into it at a young age. Like the MPO side is like not yeah. as many girls are playing disc golf as there are guys or do girls just need a little bit more time to develop? Um, no, I, th- I think it's like anything. If you look across the board, you're going to see more uh, boys playing sports than females at an mm-hmm. early age. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I could be wrong about that. I don't think I would be though, as far as just how many little league players are there and how many girls want to play little league. You know what I mean? It's definitely more in the cultural side of, of, you know, boys playing sports at a young age yeah. and girls not, it's definitely pushed more, um, you know, I don't know if push is the right word, but it definitely, I mean, there are obviously things like title nine that are put in place simply to 
make sure that there are the same amount of like yeah. female teams and sports that are getting funded on the college level. Like there are things in place to try to promote uh, women's sports, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's but we not, have none of that in disc golf. So it's gotta be an organic growth. And the only thing I would say though, that we do have in disc golf is like, there isn't the huge, like right now, if you got into the MPO side, there is a huge gap, not a huge gap. Sorry. There, there is a bunch of people locked in at the top. So like you just like jumping in being like, Oh, I'm just gonna be a top 10 player. That would be very tough on the MPO side on the FPO side. Hey, you tried to do that though. I think you did pretty good. Yeah. I, yeah. But I also yeah, did have, uh, I also did have like a lot of experience behind me throwing Frisbees a little bit. Um, and I, yeah, no, yeah. It, it can happen. You know, it can happen. Think, but it's I easier on the FPO they, side right now. Cause the field's not as deep yes. as what I was trying to get at. Yes. But I mean, if you take a Mike trout mm-hmm. and you give him a, a disc, he's going to figure it out. Maybe if he, if he, maybe. Did, I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a maybe. I think that he would be able to listen. Disc golf is one of the easier things as far as sports to learn because your size isn't that big. The form is the easiest form to learn and to repeat out of all the sports because you're not trying to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball. First I would of all. agree. The only thing I would you're, disagree um, is the forehand. The forehand is a very uncommon movement that takes time. Unless you're like a baseball pitcher or have like some sort of tennis background. If you don't have those backgrounds, the forehand, I mean, look at it. There's people that have been playing disc golf forever and they, they do not have good forehands. Why? It's not an easy, that's the only thing I would disagree with. I think the backhand, okay. I, I would agree with you on the backhand, the forehand. No, though, I'm just is, saying across tricky. sports, it would be the easier one to learn, to yeah, learn, to, to be at a high level golf. Forget about it. Like there are so many intricacies as far as the mm-hmm. swing. And then you're trying to hit a little ball and you're trying yes. to get in a little hole. Like yes. it's not even in the same realm. Yeah, I'm I I feel like right now after, you know, playing just over 3 years of disc golf, I don't feel like there's that much on the mental or learning side that's holding me back. Like there was a lot in the first year or two, but right now I don't feel like I'm not being able to step up to the hole and make the right decision of what the what the shots asking or when I'm scrambling to figure out like, "Oh, I can throw this disc and it'll do this." Like I feel like I have all that knowledge now. In golf, it would, I mean, it, I would, I would still, even having a, a decent golf background that, yeah, I would still have a lot to learn. So I agree with you. I think, I think that is, I was listening to a podcast earlier today when they were talking about like just enjoyable things to watch during the summer months and someone had brought up cornhole and someone immediately was like, no, what the heck? That's so boring to watch. They never miss. And then they brought up the, like what it would be similar to watching like Steph Curry shoot free throws. It just, it would just kind of be boring because they just don't miss. I think sometimes disc golf has some of that, not to the people. And again, the people watching this right now, they're all going to disagree with me. Like, what are you talking about? Disc golf's awesome. When you're in the sport and you love the sport, I think a lot of times you are blinded to some of the, issues or some of the things that 
might not really catch on with people outside the sport. So if you can remove yourself from just the love of the sport and you think about it, I think that might be one of the issues causing maybe some people not to watch disc golf or think disc golf is super entertaining is because of the easiness of what it looks like. Sometimes, not all courses, not this course we're going to be playing this week. I can tell you that much right now. There will not be, there will not be anyone. Well, there might be, but uh, there won't be people that there will be a shredding every hole that you will get into trouble off the tee sometimes and have to scramble. But sometimes we play these courses where it really does look like just pitch, putt, pitch, putt, pitch, putt. And, and I could see, I could see a little bit of that being boring, similar to like me. I, I'm never going to watch cornhole. Cause yeah, like the best players, they don't miss. That's not, that's not really intriguing to me. What about like, uh, as far as live, do you think that disc golf is, I, I'm trying to take the blinders off myself right now. As I think about this, it's too slow and I'm, and I'm a huge golf fan, but I'm not a big fan of watching golf live like I mean, in person or on TV. Yeah. In person. I'd rather watch it on TV. Mm. Um, but disc golf, I feel like I would rather, if I was a fan, watch it live. And a big part of it is like what you have a big problem with, which is the double cut, cut to the finish of the disc so you don't get to see the whole flight. Yeah. But in person, I feel like it's way more impressive to be able to watch and see what these guys are actually doing. Because you get no sense of like, oh, that went 550, but on camera, it looks like the easiest thing ever. To watch a disc go 550 it's different. Like I still enjoy when I'm playing with the, the good, the good players who throw it that far. I'm just like, my disc is so much slower than that. It's a different speed. It gets to a different turning point. I feel like disc golf is way cooler live than it is on film. And I wanted to bring this up that ace that Jennifer hit worst camera shot ever. You <laughs> never get to see it go around the tree, which is the coolest part about the ACE. They literally, it's getting around the tree, just the coolest shot ever. And then it's like, flip it. Bam. It goes in. I'm like, Oh my gosh. They definitely, see they, that. they definitely have the full shot too. So yes. I'm, I'm surprised. Show they both. Show oh, both. I'm surprised they didn't just show you the, ruined the me one. with that, by the way. You absolutely ruined no. me. Now, every time I watch it, I'm like, I'm telling you, this is, this is the thing is like when you have an outside mindset, like when you, when you have other, and this is why we need to hire more people outside of disc golf, like the pro tour, I'm just going to say it, stop hiring people in, in disc golf. Cause when you start hiring people outside, they're not used to anything. They're not like, this is, this is how it is. They're going to see something and be like, why are you, why are you guys doing it that way? That doesn't make any sense to me when it might all make sense to us. Cause that's how we've seen it. It's the same yeah. thing when I've talked to people. Uh, I, I, my favorite thing to talk about obviously is like the fist bumps on hole 18 and stuff. And I just love yeah. asking people like, why do you do it? And they're like, Oh, this is what we've always done. And they're like, I'm like, well, do you think we should do it now or at the end of 18? And they're like, Oh, I, I've never thought about it. This is just what we do. That it like we need to stop having that mentality for everything of like this is how it's always done. Now, one one thing I'll talk about live that is struggling, like we gotta sell alcohol. You gotta have you gotta have alcohol beverages, you gotta have things like OTB had where that sweet spot on I believe it was like hole six or seven, 
that had like a deck and you could hang out, be in shade. Like we got to have more stuff because again, Milo to me, probably as a spectator felt like you were just kind of walking around a park. You weren't walking around I mean, a disc golf course. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a big problem with disc golf that, period right now. And coming yeah. to alive, like you go, like I said, I'm not a big fan of, of golf. I don't like going and watching it. I will to see my favorite players. I am intrigued to see them, you know, to mm-hmm. just be like, Oh, there's Ricky Fowler. He's kind of small. Like me, this mm-hmm. is awesome. He's, you know, 50 feet away from me. There's that awe from the, from the fan to the actual competitor. Now at those events, I go there. The first thing I look for is a drink. I go get a drink. I look for food. I look for snacks. I look for the uh, little souvenir. So I could be like, Hey, I got, I came here. I got my thing. And then I'm done. Mm -hmm. Unless you're with a bunch of friends and then you can rinse, repeat that process through the whole round. Otherwise you go sit on a hole and you watch the hole all day. The sun's beating at you. Like it's just not, it's just not that fun to me. You know what I mean? But when there's things to do, you can kill two hours of time yes. a lot faster right now too. If you are in an area that live disc golf is coming to, that there is a tournament coming to right now, potentially could be the best time to go watch because what you're experiencing when you go watch live disc golf right now is you're experiencing stuff that would cost you two to three times the price at other sporting events. You are essentially going and watching inside the ropes. That's essentially what you're doing. When you go to other sporting events, you know, especially the ones that are like out and about where you're walking around, most of the time you can't even like, you have to go ahead of time to see anything. Like if you just are following people, you're not, you're going to see the back of people's heads. So like right now is the time to go watch live because if, if the sport, grows, which obviously we all want it to grow, but if the sport grows to the point of where there's a couple thousand people watching lead card, it's going to be very difficult. I've heard this at like USCGC at some of like the bigger tournaments that get bigger um, crowds of where they're just like, yeah, I just couldn't see anything. So we just, we just had to go a hole ahead or go watch someone else. Dude, listen to this. <laughs> I was, I just had a funny thought. And it is this. If you're at a at a different event, whether it be a football game, basketball game, golf outing, or golf tournament, and you see your friends on the other side of the fairway and you just start booking it, you will get tackled by security guards. <laughs> like you will get tackled in disc golf. Nothing happens. You just run over there and and then it's just like, Oh, I guess we got to wait for them. Don't put bad ideas in people's heads, man. Don't put bad (laughs) ideas. All right. Um, I just think that's funny. And to your point, it is, it is a very special thing that we have going on right now. So you, you are right. Get out there and watch. Yeah. It's very intimate right now. Very, very intimate. And it might not always be that way. So, you know, get out there and watch live now. So you can say like, Oh, I remember when you could just like, walk and talk to a pro as they are walking and you were the only one that's not going to be the case or hopefully that's not going to be the case all the time. All right, let's run through a little bit more of the leaderboard. And then we're going to have Simon come on here in 10 minutes. Cause he, he decided to blast out a hot take, which 
I know will probably get us going here a little bit. Han Hanley, man, I'm telling you, she is, she's due. Like we keep talking about her. She's eventually going to get one of these things. Her yeah. game is getting to the point of where she really doesn't have that many weaknesses. Her forehand still is a little bit dicey. I would say at times when she's trying to throw certain angles, like hole 18, you know, ended up not really mattering too much because Jen made her putt. But her upshot on hole 18, she was in a pretty good spot. She just threw a really bad forehand upshot. I don't know what it is. I think I think she's almost doing like she's almost kind of like dropping her wrist to throw forehands like on Heiser versus like rotating her body and still having like the same kind of motion. I've just noticed that on a couple of her forehands. But other than that, her putting is coming along. She's got a really good backhand. Like she has a very, very complete game. And, you know, the way she's progressing, it doesn't look like she's near her ceiling. She's just going to keep getting better. And yeah. that's really, that's really exciting for the FPO division. Maria Leva is another one that I think you put her on a course that is very backhand dependent, very heavy backhands off the, a lot of the tees. She's going to succeed. We saw her do really well. Um, I believe it was last year at the, the women's their U S women's championship. I believe it was a US WDC, some too many letters, but she played really well there. And it was very kind of a similar vibe of like shorter holes with backhands being more dominant. She did really well uh, getting third. Then we have own and Rebecca Cox, both in fourth place, Missy Gannon. We haven't really talked too much about Missy this year. I'm I'm still kind of waiting to for her to kind of have her breakout season. She doesn't seem to be like super far down leaderboards, but she also is, hasn't really had a breakout tournament. She hasn't really yeah. been in contention and and we've seen her in the past, you know, be able to take some some wins down. So we'll see maybe if she uh can can kind of get it going a little bit. Allie Smith, this is a name that has popped up now a couple times. Again, I believe this is a I don't know how old she is. I think I asked this last time. I think people answer like 16 or 17, I want to say, but this yeah. is like, this might be the up and comer that we were talking about. Like where yeah. are the up and comers of FPO? Allie Smith might be the up and comer. She has moved up uh, a couple leaderboards now in some of these tournaments. So cat merch with a good finish in sixth place. And then rounding up the top, top 10, we have Lisa Fakus and Sarah Hokum. Now, a couple of names I just want to throw out that, you know, I'm kind of surprised with their finishes. I think this course suited Sayananda really well. And I really was curious to see how after her really great Texas States performance, I was really curious to see how she would fare here. I don't think she did that well at OTB, but that was a much longer course, a little bit different than Texas States vibe. This one is more, I, th- I would say maybe on par with the Texas States layout. So I was a little bit surprised to see, her end up shooting a four under uh, to finish at 12th and well off of the lead in top five, but she, she kind of started slow. She kind of shot 71 to start. So kind of almost shot herself out of it to begin with. Um, But yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see Cy kind of down there. I, I think, I think she is a character. She's very interesting to me um, watching on live. So hopefully she can kind of turn it around a little bit here. Another surprising name, Katrina Allen plus five for the tournament finishing in 22nd place. And again, this is where we have to kind of understand that essentially in the FPO field, anything outside the top 10 this year in a full field is probably not that great. 
anything outside the top 20 in, in a full field is probably oh, really for, not for the elite players in, for the good, in the yes, field. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Anything outside the top 20 in a full field is not good at all. And this wasn't in a full field. So I don't know what happened. She went 74, 72, 66. She did have a good final final round, but not sure what's going on with Kat right now. She had she's had a couple tournaments now where, you know, last OTB, she was kind of in it until she took 11, you know, so that kind of launched her down the leaderboard a little bit. But we'll see. Hopefully she can kind of get together because again, she was kind of going back and forth there not that long ago. Like what, a year and a half ago, she was one of the top two, three players in the world? Didn't she win Vegas? She might have. Gosh. I think she won Vegas, Brody. Let's let's see. Let's see. She did win Vegas. Yeah. She won she won Vegas and took second at the open in Austin. Yeah, I mean, are so we, I, I are, think <laughs> but are we turning but is this is this is this my fault? Like are we turning now into what like people used to do with Paul and Ricky of where they didn't win a tournament for a few weeks. And we're just like, what is going on? Right. Cause I can say the same thing. Um, uh, do, 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 do where, who is it? Like Ella Hansen got 11th, you know, cat merch was 15 out after winning. Like, are, are we now seeing more of FPO kind of like, fluctuating week in and week out and we can't we can no longer be like oh what's going on with Paige she got you know she finished 25th in a tournament like are we are we now saying like that's okay because that there are just more players now or is that is that what you're telling me no but i am saying i feel like if we look at like the past that's just kind of how katrina plays she wins a few events a year and some of the events she struggles at and you can um, expect her to usually play well at the majors. Which we have, what's the next one? Worlds? Is that but the you next are ma- right. A European few years Open. ago, it was, she was in the mix every single tournament. There wasn't like an yeah. off off week, but there are more players now that uh, are pretty, think, are, are we pretty saying, good. Are we saying Kristen Tatar is the only female right now in that category? Of where if she doesn't finish in like the top three, top five, that's a story. Is that the only person in that category for FPO? I think Paige. Paige is in there. I think you're right. Katrina can be in there as well. Um, it's just that I feel like it pull up her stats from this year and last year. I think she takes sometimes she just takes twentieth. No, you might but be right. What, yeah, and, and a lot of that has to do with her putting. Her putting can come and go when her putting is good. Normally, it's not her throwing. Yeah. Um, so you, you might be right there. Um, another name, a name that has kind of gone a little bit under the radar this year. Lots of talk about Kona last year, mainly because of her big contract and then not really yeah. performing. Not that much talk about Kona this year. She finished 30th at this do you think people, do you think that story has just kind of like people are just over it? Because I know initially it was like a big topic of she got paid a crap ton of money. She's not performing what's going on. And I think maybe, do you think people now have realized the money might not have been for her to like get top fives The money was more of, you know, she does have a big following. She does have people, a lot of fans and rooting for her and, and people are okay with it. No, I think, uh, 
I think obviously the contract was gambling that she was going to keep performing well, but then the insurance policy was that she already had a, a big following and she's going to continue to have a good social media presence through that time, which is a nice buffer, honestly. Um, I think people do get bored. Eventually people are like, Oh yeah, I can't believe she got paid that much. And then it just over time, that story is just going to disappear. Yeah. And we very well might be at that because it was like every week after a bad finish from Kona, people were just hammering, hammering, hammering. Right. And now, and now the storyline is going to be, I can't wait till she has a good finish. You know what I mean? And then it's going to mm. be rooting. I feel like there's a process to this to where it's like, Oh my gosh, what happened to that person? Oh, they're back. And it's like a, one of those storybook things. That, I mean, she could very well win this year. Who knows? The re- it's like the redemption arc, you know? Yep. Get, getting down far enough to where you can build yourself back up. Um, all right. We have a few other things I want to talk about on the Beaver Slate fling side. Mainly, obviously, we have to go through some of the MPO results. I want to talk about the Drew Gibson, Ella Hansen tweet. Cause me and Drew kind of tweeted roughly the same thing. We'll, we'll get that up here in a second, but we're going to have Simon, I think pop on and join us here momentarily. Okay. Jen, Jen is still TBD on whether or not she will be making it tonight. Um, but we should have Simon popping in here whenever he can. So until that happens, I, maybe we talk real quick about, the big germ situation. Cause I don't want to go into the MPO side until, you know, we have enough time to talk about it. So maybe we talk about big germ. Okay. Did, did, did big germ single handedly take down the PDGA rating system in one tournament? Did big germ just say, you know what? I've, I've posted about ratings on Facebook long enough. I am going to go over to Japan I am going to take on the highest rated player in the world and I'm going to single handedly beat him by 17 strokes. Did, did, did he solve the, the uh, once and for all, did he solve the, the rating system for all of us and, and prove it, prove that it is a flawed system. You know, who has great takes on this, who loves ratings is a guy who's waiting in, in the depths here. So oh, we bring, bring, we bring, bring him out of yeah. the corner, bring him out, right? In, bring him in right now. Simon Lazat. You, you just got thrown in by Yuli straight away. I don't know if you were able to hear uh, what we were just talking about, but thanks for coming back, man. It's always a pleasure having you on tour life. How, how are things going for you right now? Good. Um, I heard like the last 20 seconds, I think, I think it was something about ratings and uh, we were just trying to put the baby to bed unsuccessfully. Oh boy! And my parents just were here visiting from Germany for a week, and I just dropped them off at the airport a couple at the airport a couple hours ago. So it was a fun week with uh, family and friends. All good. Do you have one of those like um, those like uh, what do they call them? Snoo- uh, snoozle? I don't know what they're called, but you put the baby in it that kind of just rocks it when it <laughs> no, like. We, it was highly recommended called. by many parents, but uh, we never got it. I'm not sure why. Do you, uh, do you have the mattress that you can breathe through? Breathe? You know yeah. There's a mattress that you can like stick up against your face and still be able to breathe through. So that way, like maybe, maybe I'm just, I've been talking to really, uh, 
overbearing parents that are terrified. Oh, I guess. Reasons? Yeah. yeah. Cause I think, I think like one in like a billion kids or something do, like suffocates or something from, from, from that. I don't think it's a real thing, but no um, sleep safety is a huge, huge issue. And, uh, we made sure to have a hard mattress and no blanket and stuff, of course, but he's oh, no he's, blanket. Okay. That's the play. Yeah. I mean, he's almost 14, no 15, six, 16 months now. And, uh, He's getting to an age where he can start having blankets and it's not the sleeping safety issue is not a huge concern okay. anymore. I didn't want to terrify you. I'm sorry for you coming on and just getting terrified. I was, I was just throwing out <laughs> random facts like that. Let's let's I'm change not... this let's change the subject okay. here. Okay. Let's change the subject. Um okay. What are you feeding you... your baby? You monster. <laughs> <laughs> Today Chipotle. Um Okay, so so before you came on, we were talking about Big Germ, and my question was, Big Germ has had some of these posts on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen them in the past where he's like, there's no way James Conrad's round at Jonesboro should be rated as low as, you know, he kind of throws out the ratings every once in a while. So my question was, was Big Germ so upset at the rating system that he said, you know what, I'm going to go to the Japan Open play against the highest rated player in the world, basically the best player in the world based off the PGA rating system. And I'm going to beat this man by 17 strokes to prove that the rating system is flawed and broken. I I like that idea. I don't think his motivation was that, but if that proved a point, then I think he's double happy because as far as I can tell from his social media posts, it seemed like he had the best week of his life in Japan, which Seven years ago, when I went, I uh, Tokyo was the favorite place I've ever been to this day. Yeah, Japan wow. is a J- Japan is an absolute wild country. If you can if you can make moves over there, Mount Fuji is one of the more scenic places I've ever seen. It's just a mountain literally by itself. Nothing like everything's so flat around, it, and he's got this massive mountain with with the um, you know the snow caps and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, Japan. I, I wish Japan opened like that. I wish that was a big tournament. I wish that what what happened there wasn't that one tournament like a lot of top pros used to go to. Yeah, it used um, to be a major. I heard someone died who was an important person running that tournament. Oh, but I, yes. I could be wrong. No, no, no. You're right. The it was the greenskeeper at the golf course. It was supposed to be played at. Um. Wait, is am I am I now mixing my golf with my disc golf? I was supposed to go out to Japan. I might be you know what? This would be a weird coincidence, but I think I was supposed to go out there for a golf trip and the greenskeeper messed something up with the golf uh course and so that he basically offed himself and they canceled the trip because the whole tournament got shut. I don't think this is the same thing. No, probably not. Okay. 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 This is this has been a wild start. I'm sorry. Sorry. This has been a wild start of an interview. Okay. Let's uh let's go back. Let's go back and and get get to the point of why we wanted to bring you on tonight. Not not talking about the topic so far. Um. Jeez, I am so sorry. Okay. Uh, you. You know, maybe this is you not playing this week, this past week and like sitting home and watching, but you went to Instagram and you posted on Instagram and I'll read it for everyone uh, listening. You made a post saying disc golf needs more Mandos. I used to hate Mandos. Oh, wait, 
Was that the first one? I think that was the yeah. first one. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So disc golf needs more Mandos. I used to hate Mandos and I thought it, uh, it was poor course design, but the reality is that we don't have a real disc golf course that was built just for disc golf yet. Until then, we need more Mandos and get rid of all drop zones. If you miss the Mando, play it where it lies with a stroke penalty. Also, all OB should be hazard equals better game. And then you went on to say, maybe we, should we stop there and, and tackle that before we go on the next one? I think so. Because the next one, the next one's a, a very interesting take from you. So you remember I think the next one was up only for like 10 minutes and then I took it back down. I don't remember what it was. What was it? Oh, I have it. I have, okay. I can read it for you. So the next one, the next one's pretty good. The next one says also we need areas that don't give you a stroke penalty, but make you make your next shot more difficult, like forehand only no run up or roller only more skills will benefit more skills will actually be beneficial. And this was kind of like close Mm. to like my dark horse thought one time of where I think sometimes when you get around a bunch of disc golfers late at night, you just start talking about crazy stuff. One of my thoughts was like, what if every shot after, after your tee shot, every shot you somehow was, were able to make everyone have to throw their disc over their disc. So you can't like, you know, lean out to the left to the right anymore. You have Mm. to throw over your disc. That would cause a lot of like different situations, but Let's uh let's 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 tackle maybe the first part here. So Mandos, what made you decide what made you decide that Mandos were like essential for disc golf? Um just looking at the venues we tend to play on nowadays like golf courses, obviously golf courses are controversial in disc golf and you I would say the majority agrees that it's not ideal for disc golfers to play on a golf course. For obvious reasons, we're playing a different game. Our discs do wildly different things than a golf ball can do. So I don't think it really highlights very well what disc golf should be. I mean, I know why we play at golf courses, and I agree that we should play on golf courses, but the course designs are still an issue and tricky. And I think a big reason um, why a lot of people complain about watching ball golf courses is because I can play, I think any player would agree that we can play most of those courses with three discs. And almost every tee shot is similar, which is a high, hard, straight distance driver with a hyzer finish. And mid-ranges are basically taken completely out of the game because you throw really far and then you have a putter up shot or another driver, depending on the hole. And we're basically losing this huge part of the game, which is throwing putters off the tee, throwing mid-ranges off the tee, and almost even throwing fairway drivers off the tee. Like, I I think some tournaments I literally could play with four discs. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I don't think is a good direction for us to go. I think what Mandos could bring um, to better course design is that if we're lacking obstacles, technically with two trees in the fairway that you make Mandos, you could design any shape, any shot we can possibly throw. You could, I mean, kind of unnaturally, but force us to throw by throwing in Mandos. You all, all you need is one or two obstacles, and then you can basically shape any shot we can possibly throw. Um, and I think that would make 
it for a more interesting watch, a better game. It's it might be a bit tricky to make it make sense to everyone watching, giving the um, technical abilities that we have with media and stuff. Um, obviously, we don't want to create a game that's just wildly confusing for everyone to watch on what Mando is where and who goes next and who's what plus minus and all those things. But the main issue is that we all love disc golf and we all are kind of waiting for disc golf to get big. I was just actually on the drive home from, from the airport. Uh, just a couple hours ago, I, there was terrible traffic and I was scrolling through YouTube because I was so bored and I ended up clicking on the debate night from last night, I think that, and you were talking about disc golf versus pickleball and why pickleball is getting so popular so fast and they're getting mm -hmm. the big sponsors and the celebrities and all that things. And you were kind of wondering why pickleball and not disc golf. And uh, I think a big reason is that pickleball is so pickleball has its playing field and it's so simple and it's all right there and i think disc golf just hard doesn't. to film it's really like, hard I to am, film i would probably put myself in the top three of biggest disc golf fans when it comes to pro players because i watch everything i i probably watch every disc golf video on youtube that there is i watch all the new stuff i watch every live coverage when i'm not playing i watch every single fpo round from tee off to finish um when i have the time and the main issue is i think is that our courses just don't look good on camera and i don't know if the camera equipment is the issue or if the course itself is the issue and i've had the, i've had an idea for a while can you hear me yeah yes perfect and my idea is is because i had this thought a long time ago when we started using the traditional golf courses as disc golf courses and they're just these lengthy things and i remember thinking like when watching it on film it's so boring because it's just out into the open field the distances really are tough for the announcers to be like, this is 500 feet. Well, 500 feet looks exactly like 320 feet thrown. It's really hard to like show how tough that shot is. So my thought was, why wouldn't we put like a bunch of triple mandos everywhere? Like a big, like, you know, the, the, uh, like the Zuka banners. Mm -hmm. What about putting that 300 feet out into the fairway to where then you'd have a reference point of, of like distance, you'd have a place to go through and you'd be able to film it. And people would actually understand like what's going on instead of this big, not every hole, but this big old open field. Didn't they so have kind of, that at, um, one of the holes on Vegas? It was like, uh, it was almost like an L shaped hole. I feel like a couple years ago, they had a hole like that of where, you threw it, you that. threw it straight. It was like straight down the fairway. And then there was two trees that you had to go through. And the basket was like tucked behind a bunker. And the first one that comes to mind is one of I, one of the best holes I feel like we have, which is at the USDGC hole 15. That's an amazing hole. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a triple Mando straight down the thing. Now it's cool because you have that line of trees on the left-hand side and the line yeah. on the right-hand side. So it creates the tunnel, but guess what? If we have that in the middle of the field, it still creates the same shot, 
but how does that we just look, don't have though? the beauty. Yeah, I was I gonna say know, how does how, how how that look? Yeah. But I do agree with Simon as far as the I I feel like every hole should have a classic putter shot that's like an island to where you have to land the putter soft. I feel like you should have a 320 foot tunnel shot that you have to throw with the mid range and you should have like maybe a 400 foot slight turnover with a fairway driver or something like that. You should have those classic par threes. There should be three par threes on the course or four maximum on our big courses, but they should all be those classic shots. Cause when you go to a traditional golf course, you normally have, if you're playing from the tips, you have a 220, you have a 180, and you're guaranteed to have an eight iron, uh, like a 180, and then you're guaranteed to have like a pitching wedge of some sort into one of the greens. There's usually three to four par threes, and they're those classic shots. One thing that I'm seeing in disc golf, which I bring it up every single week, which I think is the dumbest thing we have, is a 500 foot par three. It's a cumulative being like, okay, how far do it's not the same, but it kind of is to me on traditional golf. The average drive is 295 yards or something. It might be a little farther now. That's the average drive on tour. So imagine having two 300 yard par threes in traditional golf. It'd be the dumbest thing you've ever seen. They've had one. I've looked it up. They've had one at the U S open. They had one and a big, a big reason is like elevation. I agree with like uh, elevated par three that's 500 feet. That doesn't matter, obviously. But this 500 foot par three thing just isn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. That's not a par three in my, in my mind, you know? All right. That's my take. Someone, someone's yeah, here. Up. Yeah, I'm going to say one more thing about uh, this topic is, I would just love to see courses where we use almost every disc in our bag and we need to strategize what discs we carry around. Cause obviously we all can't carry 50 discs, but at least like 15 to 20 discs is like, you need these main slots and every course we play on tour should require at least more than three or four molds because we throw the same freaking shot almost on every hole. It feels like. And uh, I, I know at least, I don't know if I'm the only one, maybe you guys can speak to that a bit too. I literally could play any course with three of this, basically. Any of the mm-hmm. golf courses yeah. we play. And uh, I love WR Jackson for the reason that we use more discs. Like I was throwing discs at WR Jackson that I didn't use the entire season beforehand. So it was awesome for me to learn new discs, of course. and. It's just a part of the game that is important skills and it's fun to be, it's fun to, to be watch. fair. We, to be fair, me and Ezra got absolutely slapped up by the, uh, Robinson brothers on WR Jackson and they just carried five discs around and they slapped one of those being a putter and they just slapped mm. us real bad. I think they shot five, like 16 under. So five, I don't tournaments, know. five tournaments in a row last year. I didn't throw a mid range five in a row. The mid range mm-hmm. is a dying disc. I will say that it is. It is a disc that on, on tour, it's a dying disc. It's not, you know, people are, and what, I guess here's a question for you guys. What shot do we need to require for like, what shot do you need to force someone to throw for a mid range for them not to throw a putter and for them not to throw like an overstable fairway? Like what disc is it 
or what shot would, would you need to oh, that's force a, someone to throw? That's the problem is I, I feel like it's a, it's the landing and it's not the flight. So if you're going to force somebody to throw a putter, it's going to have to, you're going to have to throw a putter because you need a soft landing mm-hmm. and a mid range. You would need the ceiling to be lower and then the distance to be farther. Mm. Okay. And then there would be, there would need to be some sort of OB behind because then if you throw fairway driver, you're skipping out of bounds. So there's ways there's for sure ways to do it. It has to be low ceiling though. Tough. Cause if it's not low ceiling, yeah. you guys are all throwing putters. Of course. Yes. Because you want a soft landing. And so everybody can throw it 600 feet. So you're going to just throw a putter 380, 300, whatever mm. it is. You know what I mean? I feel like, I feel like that's, that would be the only way any other ideas. Out yeah. There? When do, when are you throwing mid ranges, Simon? What, what holes, like what shot shapes? <clears throat> I'm just thinking it, I'm looking at the USDGC course right now because that also is kind of a course where you, you need a lot of a lot of different shots. Hole one USDGC. For some reason, even though it's really short and downhill, I throw a mid instead of a putter. Now imagine if it there? was OB behind. Would you still throw a mid range? I mean, it's a low ceiling, kind of. It is Do you low throw ceiling. putters on that hole? I throw a putter. But I throw I like a ringer, which is like yeah. right in between. I throw a forehand zone because I'm terrified of that gap. <laughs> 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 that's what I do. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the problem. Is like maybe there isn't that much of a difference, really, mm-hmm. when it comes to a putter and a mid. Maybe not. I will say. The low ceiling is the big one though, right? Like if you throw a putter 10 feet off the ground and you throw a mid 10 feet off the ground, the mid is going to go further, farther. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. It's just, we don't have a lot of shots like that. I'm trying to think of a, of a hole you would throw a mid range instead of a, instead of a putter. Um, Oh, what about the, uh, what about, oh no. Are you guys throwing putters on that one? The triple Mando hole, the bamboo hole. Is that a putter throw for you guys too? I yeah. Throw putter. Oh, see, Simon goes mid. I throw a sidearm. So yeah. Is it because the putter for you to get that distance to the basket, you would have to throw it high to where it would, it, it could potentially miss high. Is that why you go mid? You can just kind of line drive a mid at it. I don't, I, f- I feel like for that distance, it just feels a bit more control to like glide in mid there than throwing a putter a bit harder. Mm. So imagine this. But imagine I also miss then, the triple mando every time. So I, I'm not the right guy to pass on that one. So then so imagine maybe it is this. a putter. <laughs> imagine having another triple mando halfway in between that forced you to throw it low. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people would go like. Str- I think I think if you do another mando there, Yuli, I think a lot of people would go fairway driver. But depending on the height, really, yeah, I guess it depends. Yeah, no, it's a weird, See, it's, a feel, weird I, it's, a, it's a weird one. I really it's, feel like there's a way to design a specific hole to make the player throw a specific shot. And of course, there's going to be outliers. Like not everybody throws the same. Some people throw nose up. Some people throw hyzer flips. Some people do all kinds of different things. Some people throw, dude, I played this doubles the other day. 
on Monday at this old course. And I got beat by a guy who threw a boss on every shot. Didn't matter. <laughs> didn't, didn't matter. <laughs> he just threw a skip shot with his boss on every hole, 320 feet or 200 feet. It was a boss and he parked every shot. So there are going to be outliers, but when you get to the tippity top echelon of the sport and you have the best players, you have to think that that person is going to have a great disc golf IQ and be able to go, okay, I need to eliminate these options, which means this is the right shot for this throw. Yeah, no, you need to have, you definitely need to have like trouble around the greens to force people to have to think about their shot. So I want to move on to, uh, before we like hammer this point to death, uh, I want to move on to your drop zones. Cause I agree with you. I think mm. sometimes the drop zones that we have on tour, this is where I feel like there's a little bit of a growing pains. Cause it feels like drop zones were created a lot of times for like the bad players pace of play. Right. It seemed like drop zones were like, well, if we, if we have to, you know, if you throw, let's, um, so we all played uh let's just think of, let's think of like the, one of the more famous, famous holes is like, uh, um, 16 at country club. Okay. So it's like that really sweet green. We're throwing over water the whole time. If that didn't, if that hole didn't have a drop zone, I think tournament directors would be terrified that players would be, be standing on the tee box, throwing shots all day. So what do they do? They make it to where the jump drop zones, like a jump putt. So that way it just pays to play reasons move on. Are your takes like no drop zones at all? So like in that scenario, you just, if you throw it in the water and you don't clear anything, you keep throwing until you land on the Island or are you on the side where it's like, okay, that's like a three fifty shot. Let's give them like a 300 foot shot. That's like a little bit closer, easier angle for their drop zone. What, what's your take on that? Um, well, I think for specific holes, it's important to keep in mind pace of play, of course. And the other thing is I'm not a fan of holes where you can just throw away your entire tournament because mm. you skipped mm. off the island. Or in that case, you could even throw a great shot, hit the basket, roll OB, and then start emptying your bag from there. And then you're just done just because of bad luck. Like, I think... Of course, if you make stupid decisions and you throw bad shots, you're going to be punished. But having a hole where you can literally take double digits without being too off, I would not love to see that. Um, I think on holes like that, island holes over water, I think uh, a drop zone. Like progressive is, drop zones? Yeah, yeah the 40-footers. The 40-footers. Get rid of them. The Please. 40 footer, the 40 footer death putt for par might uh, that, that has to go like that. Can, I, can we, can we all agree? I, I see what you're saying, Simon, of where it, it would be ridiculous standing on this, the tee pad and watching someone just dump their bag in the water and their tournament's over. But also it's also ridiculous when someone makes it on the Island, has a 30 footer, <sighs> hits it off the band. Someone throws it in the water, never even had a chance and they get the same score. That's where it's like, man, that like, that seems like it shouldn't be happening. So what about like progressive throw your first shot in the water? Next shots at 300 feet, next shots at 200 feet, next shots, a 40 foot, uh, uh, 40 foot death putt or whatever. Like, do you like progressive at least to where 
you're still forcing them to have to throw maybe a couple extra shots, but they're not going to get a massive number. Well, if you really think about it, that's kind of what golf is though. You play the same score in wildly different ways. Like I was playing golf um, just a couple of weeks ago. I was playing with like, I'm terrible at golf, but I can like hit the ball kind of. Mm-hmm. So I, had, I I played like a great par five. I had a great tee shot fairway, second shot fairway, third shot on the green. And then I three putted, which I mean, happens to terrible players all the time. I mean, a three putt is not even that bad uh, and took a bogey or, or what, I don't know, double bogey, whatever it was at the, at the time. And the other player on my card shanked it in the bunker, shanked it into another bunker, shanked it into the rough, somehow scrambled on the green and five shots and then two putted and got the same score. Mm-hmm. I felt like I played the hole so well and just missed my two putts. And he played the hole terribly. Like every shot was bad and we ended up with the same score. So I think that's just golf. Like you can throw, you, it's just, you, you get to the same place in very different ways. I'm yeah. in for, for tin cupping. I'm in I for it. <laughs> Leave the people who are going to take the 20, dude. If you're going to take it, because here's the, th- here's, here's the thing. <laughs> Every single time somebody takes a huge number. You just want people to buy more discs because they throw them no, all No, no, no. <laughs> there's always an option to throw it into an area to not take that big number. Name one time that you have seen somebody take a huge score where they didn't have an option to just go, okay, I'm going to throw it to here. 17 for USCBC. Sure. 17, you can throw a putter up, up what, 70 feet, and then you're telling me you're going to take 12 shots from there? You can oh. jump putt. No, 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 there's still a way. But mm. we don't do it. So they deserve it. If you're going to go for the shot all those times, there should be no progressive drop zone. None. If you, if there's an option for you to be like, okay, I'm going to throw it safe. And I most likely am going to hit the Island. See now I, my pushback on that though, Yulis, I hate the holes where the only person that gets punished is the person that's trying to bury the hole. That's not true. Cause they get rewarded. If you throw a good shot. Yes, but I think sometimes we play holes where like to birdie it is so difficult and to par it is super easy if you're just like, well, I'm just going to throw 200. I mean, a perfect example of that is Jones uh, Worlds last year. Worlds last year, hole one supreme, right? Yeah. If you play that hole for birdie, there was a high chance of you getting a bogey. If you play that hole for par, you just jump putt, jump putt, tap in, move I've on. I fived it playing it for par, so that is not true. Okay, well, and I know. played with multiple people who <laughs> missed it. My point still is like, should we be having people jump putt off of par threes, Yuli? Is that what you want your disc golf to look like? People step people up to, to play two- golf. <laughs> here's here's what I'm saying: if you throw USCGC seventeen, if you throw a shot and you miss the island green. And we are you and I, let's say that you have me by one stroke going into that hole. I have an option now to jump putt to the end and get the stroke back easier riveting, than riveting drama. A, but that's the way that it is. Do you like seeing in traditional golf, somebody go, Oh, I have a two stroke lead. Let me hit this iron off of it. Or do you want to see him go kaboom with the driver? It's golf. I know, but hitting the iron is still difficult. <laughs> no, it's not. Jump putting the 70 feet is not hard. No one's ever going to mess that up. Bro- Brody, Brody, you know, hitting a seven iron down a fairway is not hard. 
That is it, not it, true. It, it is when there's pressure on the line. It is. It is not as hard as hitting we the driver. The problem is we can't really we can't really compare disc golf with golf because of the skill the skill level that golf takes is far superior. The one thing I will say though is right now, and th- let me ask you this, Simon. Do you think the value on shots are at are are at a good level? And what I mean by that is the value of being good at putting far outweighs right now the value of being a good thrower. If you're really really good at, at putting and decent at throwing, you have a chance to win. If you're really good at throwing and decent at putting, you're going to struggle <clears throat> winning tournaments because putting can just solve so many problems for you. Do you think that's a do you think the value of those two is is on a good scale right now? I do not think that. Do you? Wait, you don't you don't think what I okay, hold on. I asked that question terribly. Do you think what I said <laughs> do you think what I said makes sense or are you are you saying that the value of throwing needs to be higher than it currently is? I think the value of throwing needs to be higher than it currently is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we both agree then. We both agree that the putting value right now is way too high compared to the throwing value. Yeah, and there's two ways to solve the problem. Oh gosh, here we go. It's coming. <laughs> SB, baby. SB, hit him with it. Well, SB is one option. And then the other option is to. A smaller baskets, Yuli. Yeah, Just to one. add more OB, <laughs> but make it hazard. So any shanked up shots or tee shots yes. are still yes. within 60 or 50 feet or 40 feet, whatever you want to call it. Yes. But you get a stroke penalty for sucking and then you can yes. still make a par. And okay. then the, it's equal then. The putting and driving will be equally important. We can't have someone launch a shot 60 feet over the basket and go OB and then be able to pull it in and have a five footer for par. We can't, we can't be having that. No, happen. That sucks. That we can't sucks. be having that happen. They have to be putting for their par 60 feet away. But why not just have stroke and distance? I think My we should role. way too punishing. No, way too punishing. No, no, for certain for certain holes, I think we should have stroke and distance. Certain holes. Cer- like certain designs, like to me, stroke and distance is great. Like let's say you have a boring fairway. Okay, straight down, super boring. To me, if you go if you if you land on the right side, let's say the right side angle into the green is really bad. And if you land on the left side, the left side angle into the green is really good. So it's like a dog leg to the right, let's say. Okay. If you go OB down the left and hazard down the right, now everyone has to make a decision off the tee. Do I want to miss my shot right and still have a chance of maybe getting up and down for par if I do go in the hazard? Or if I do get greedy and try to land on the left to give myself that birdie look, now all of a sudden, like I'm OB and I'm rethrowing. Like I think certain certain course designs of where you can have the stroke and distance, like kind of what you were saying about like forcing people to throw shots with the Mando. I think you can do that with hazard and OB as well of forcing them to a certain spot because one spot's way more punishing than the other. That's, that's what I'll say with the OB. I don't want to litter the whole course with it, but I think you can throw it in here and there. What about I think it's too punishing. Okay, what about this? Let, let, let me let me especially as punishing with how easy like with how easy the game is kind of I guess 
I guess that's gonna, the problem, right? It's like a, a double bogey on some of these tournaments. All of a sudden, you have no chance to win. It should be is, one side is hazard. The other side is a skill area where you have to throw a forced shot or you can't take a run up. Do we go into the skill area now? Or Yuli, you, you say what you're going to say, and then we'll go into the skill area because I think this is fascinating. <laughs> okay. It makes sense. My, this is my take. This is what I'm sick of. If we can f- collectively figure this part out, I'll be okay with kicking the disc forward. Okay. <laughs> but this is, this is a hole. Okay. It's 800 feet dead straight. Okay. The green's on a right to left slope. All right. Right to left slope. Mm-hmm. There's a right to left crosswind. I'm in a playoff and I'm in a playoff with Eagle McMahon. All right. I throw my shot. This one doesn't have stroke and distance. Okay. It's just regular OB rules. I throw my shot 400 feet into the dead center middle of the fairway. Eagle throws his 600 feet and he goes out of bounds left. I'm left Mm. with 400 feet into a sloping green with a right to left crosswind. This is a good point. This is a good point. He's left with a 200 foot up shot into a left to right or right to left slope with a right to left crosswind. He's going to most likely get up and down with a putter, a stable putter going sidearm into the green, right? What are my options now? My options are I have to go for this crazy thing with a fast disc. Most likely there's no chance I'm landing in bounds with any shot. It would take a little bit of luck. So now me being inbounds, I am not, I am actually probably more punished than he is. Now I have to lay up and hope he makes a mistake from 200 feet where I have thrown the better shot. The person who throws it OB should always be more punished. But in this case, it is. Now, let's do this. Guess what? Stroke and distance on both sides. I throw a shot 400 feet into the middle of the fairway. Guess where Eagle is going to be throwing his shot? Probably same in the same place. spot. Yeah. Probably in the exact same place, right? That yeah, comfort zone. Yeah, Heiser overstable right there. Yeah. And now, what are our options? We have the same ones. Yeah, you're going to be dancing okay? now. You're going to be going now back you're, and forth. Now you're playing, now you're playing golf. Mm-hmm. Now, do I lay up short and hope he runs it? <laughs> or do I go for the green, try to win the tournament? Those are the two options that you have. Now we're playing golf. I think now the rules flaw. as... Okay, yeah, I want to hear it. But this is what I feel like is the big separator right now is our game gives more emphasis on distance and out of bounds than inbound shots are not um, rewarded as much as out of as distance. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. the, The flaw. Yeah, it's a good point. I think you're just failing a bit to see that Distance is a skill. No, I'm not. I'm not. Distance is a skill, and he can still throw that shot. Distance needs to be a skill if you have distance and accuracy. That's why there's long drive contests where people are doing it uh, in the desert with a 
driver and traditional golf. And those guys aren't on tour playing because they can't hit the ball that far. Rory McIlroy does it. He hits the ball farther than everybody, but he also hits the ball pretty accurately. So does John Rahm. They are the best players in the world. I, I can Eagle see is also the best player in the world. Yes. Can... And he had, and so, but what I'm saying is if he is that good, if he is that good with his skill, he'll be throwing that 600 feet and beating me in the playoff. And he will have that option. But will he do it? But will he do it? And we, well, we, have, we, we have seen people do that. We have seen people throw, throw really far, you know, accurate shots for sure. I don't know. See, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird one because I don't want to punish people from throwing far. And then all of a sudden we have like this layup game where everyone's just like throwing like safe shots off the tee. I think that's not really what we're trying to go for. For Simon, we can all throw far. I can throw a 360, 100 feet farther than I throw my normal shot. But you don't see me throwing it all the time because it's not a honed-in skill that I can do off the tee pad. Yeah, because most courses we play, accuracy is just as rewarded as distance, honestly. The, the hole I just explained, there's at least two of them on every single tournament that we play, buddy. Name one. Name at one. least. Name one. Name one. One hole. Name one what? One hole that you just described. All right, let's see. This last weekend, how about hole? This you last weekend is probably not a good one because we didn't have really OB that much. I mean, OT, OTB is a perfect OTB. example. There's a... Like all the par fives, you can throw it, if you two? throw it six hundred feet. Hold two. There's not a lot of OB. The OB on I the right side. The the OB on the right side is kind of punishing though. If you go OB right, I don't because I I I I don't think I think what Yuli's talking about right now, Simon, is like holes where because did you go OB on the right side of hole two? I didn't even know there was OB <laughs> at OTB. Yeah, you just said you found OT. You said you found OB on the hole, but left in the parking lot. Are we talking about yeah, the same I went, hole? I went. Oh, I went I'm thinking about. Left. Sorry, sir. I was thinking about the first part five. Sorry, I know what you're saying. Yes, yes. Okay, the low ceiling shot off the tee. Yeah, like that one. There is OB. Like left. if Eagle blasts a 600 foot laser and then trickles OB left, and you gonna... throws a 300 foot precise perfect shot down the middle. Uh-huh. Eagle's going to save a par and Yuli's probably going to get a par. That's yeah. I think that's perfectly fair. I think Yuli just no, is saying what, I want, I want he wants Eagle to have a harder time to par that hole. No, no, no. There. I'm saying an uh, accurate shot in golf should always be better than an out of bounds shot. And it isn't. That's why in traditional golf, if you go out over the, the white stakes, my pitching wedge into the fairway is now has the advantage because accuracy is a premium. Staying inbounds is a premium. You play golf, right? It's so hard that when you hit it out of bounds, I'm sure you probably just get your ball and take it straight out from where it was and then hit it from there. <laughs> I just give up the hole at that point. <laughs> Mark me down for a double, please. Moving on. Yeah. But I mean, if, if you guys can't agree that an accurate shot should be more rewarded than an out of bound shot, now, which you're saying, then we are so far off in our thought process. Okay. Okay. One more point and then we can move on. Okay. 
the hole you first described is a par four, I'm guessing. Yeah, par four. And if you make it so hard for yourself to get a birdie, I think you're playing the hole wrong. Okay, shorten it. And then shorten the hole, and then you can birdie it, and then you'll take the bar. Like then, there's no problem anymore. Mm. It's one shot, one shot swing. Like if but you're throwing not... two four hundred foot shots and you're struggling to get a birdie, then you deserve to not get a birdie either. There is there is some advantage. Not... Oh, yeah. I don't I don't think that's correct. If somebody's throwing it out of bounds and you don't throw it. If you play a hole perfect, and I'm not saying by like, okay, I'm going to throw a mid-range, 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 and take a par. I'm saying if we have stroke and distance the same way, then why do we all know we're all landing in the same spot? Okay, what about this, though? No, what? You, you and, throw the perfect to- shot in the <laughs> middle of the fairway. Yeah. Eagle also throws the same shot, but he hits like a little... No, 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 no. Mound <laughs> and rolls into the OB and now have to reach he, even though he hit within an inch of where you're just landed. But because of the fluke factor that we have, because we are not playing on perfectly manicured fairways, fair it's just point up to, to Simon. What happens fair, there? Fair point and to then Simon. He's so punished, like <laughs> no, no, way because too punished, you're way too punished. Because no, because my hole doesn't have that, Simon. You're making up your own <laughs> oh, hole. My okay. hole doesn't have that. My hole is on a traditional golf course, which is what we always play. And normally, aside from OTB, which has these crazy potholes everywhere, most of the fairways are pretty good. Would you agree? There's not these little things. No, 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 Yuli. What are you talking about? We play in we play in fairways that have roots all over the place. Stumps are all over the place. Rocks, sticks. I would say the majority of the fairways we play. A lot of times, you're like your disc will be in the. There's one hole this week that if you're in the perfect spot, you're in the middle of the fairway. You could be on a path, and the path the path is in the middle of the fairway. It's just like a walking path, and there's like a six inch gap between the path and the actual like grass. So if your disc is barely on the path, you're, you now are just basically going to break your ankle in the run up and you're in the middle of the fairway. That's a very common thing in disc golf. Just having bad fairways. The easy answer to this is you can hit a really good drive into the fairway in traditional golf and land in a divot. Like bad stuff happens. So much less likely. I feel like yeah, but that's way less punishing than reteeing. That's also true. Good point. You can still you can hit. hit your you can still hit out of the divot and make a birdie. If your disc hits like a stump and rolls OB, you're now throwing three from the tee. That's so much more punishment. The okay. fact that you're saying a 400 foot shot, you're not going to be able to look, like this is cr- a crazy argument to me because if we have a wide open field, okay, and the hole that I described. I don't care if it's on ice, you're probably going to be able to land in the middle of the fairway. That's how accurate we are. Like, let's but not kid. To find the truth and essence of situations, you often have to go to the extremes to figure out if they're actually good or not, your points. Because that's how you find truth is by hypothetical extremes. Good point. Point to Simon. Okay. So here's a hypothetical extreme. Okay. <laughs> Okay. We'll end it okay. on this one and then we'll move on because I do want to get this next topic. So give us your hypothetical. Let's hear it and then we'll move on. Here's a hypothetical. Hypothetical right here. How about we just make every hole 
700 feet. Or let's say 650 with no OB anywhere. That's a perfect place for Simon Lazat, right? And then love it. You lo- you would love that, right? I mean, my bank account probably would. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your bank account would probably like that. Do you think that that would be a fun place to play? No. All right. This is what I think needs to happen, and this is the only thing that's going <laughs> to solve the problem. We each go out, we make our own course, and then we play each other's course, and we rate and see which one we like better. That's the only way we're going to find out what's the best way of going about this. All right, Simon, your last take that. First off, why did you delete it? I guess would be my question. You know, sometimes um, I think we were walking to the park with the baby and I was just kind of like lost in my mind a bit thinking about some disc golf stuff. I was just uh, watching some uh, coverage from the Beaver State Fling and I was like, man, I've always had this thought that golf is just such, I've said this a bunch of times on podcasts too, but golf is such a, great game because they have a fairway and then they have the rough and they have bunkers and all these different skills and in disc golf because we don't have millions of dollars to create bunkers and rough that would be equivalent to the disc golf skills needed we need to fake it because there will not anytime soon we will have millions of dollars to build an actual disc golf course dude you Um, have you just got four million bucks bro (laughs) make a good course already (laughs) (laughs) point to yuli (laughs) um and uh, i mean the way to fake it would be to make unnatural areas where uh, you are forced to show a skill like it is to hit out of the rough or hit out of a bunker those are different skills and if you're really good at them it'll obviously be great for your scorecard. And I think unless you can throw it 600 feet past those areas and then you get a free pass. Maybe there's more of those areas around the feet kidding. mark. Sorry that for would be fair probably. And uh, I don't know. I think. What made you delete it though? Did you just blast oh, it out? And, and then you're like, Oh, I need to delete yeah. this. Cause you kept the other one, but you deleted this one. No, I deleted both. I sometimes, oh. I feel like I need to get something out there and then I, I check like 10 minutes later and I get like 50 oh. messages of people arguing about it. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I don't really like uh, being in the center of attention that much. And I don't like when people argue about what I say. And uh, then I just get scared. You came to the wrong <laughs> podcast, my friend. I was, yeah, I was going to say in the future, if you're having these thoughts, just text me and we'll get you on the next podcast and you can air them all out. Because I, I do get in trouble sometimes too when I tweet stuff out because I think it is a lot harder to sometimes, you know, in text, especially on Instagram or Twitter where you have, you know, you can't just write a paragraph or a novel to try to get your point out. Um, it's obviously easier to do in person. Now, I will say, I don't know if I'm for the forehand only or the roller only spots, but I am for the run up, like the no run up. I could see that being you know, an additional, like you're talking about, we need to like start having skills of, you know, some people can putt well, some people can jump putt well, some can, people can scramble well, forehand, backhand. I think if we did have no run-up zones or areas, I guess you could say, that would be an additional skill that we would all have to practice. We would all have to start working on, okay, how do we stand still and try to throw 400 feet? And that could yeah, be that we would all lose 200 feet instantly. Like you, you just physically can't throw as far without the momentum of a run up. 
And I think that's the perfect equivalent to a bunker or a rough shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't like just that. you can't just 360 your way out or chuck a now will people learn how to throw like standstill rollers or would you have to create something to force people not to be able to get away with doing that? No, you can throw standstill rollers. I think that would be ridiculous, but <laughs> if someone can do it, then all I'm all for it. Show your skills. Okay. 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 I because to me in like a perfect world the only thing there is one flaw because i know you're probably going to call us out so i'm going to jump on it first before you call me out is we have like tall grass like not not like rough in golf like two feet of tall grass no one is getting a good run up in tall thick grass like that so a lot of us have to either do this awkward run up where we're probably going to mess up or stand still now big flaw to that playing on a course like that is going to be a nightmare. Like trying to find your disc and stuff and two feet of tall grass. That sounds awful. And that also poses a, a, you know, for course maintenance and bugs and insects, all all sorts of weird stuff. So like, I'm kind of with you in the idea of where right now we don't have the money. So how do we artificially do it? It's, it's, it's the same take that I have with like the people that hate artificial OB we don't have the money to put in a beautiful lake and a fountain and make this super iconic hole with this like water hazard. So what do we do? We just put flags up and paint rope and, or paint uh, on the ground. And that is our artificial, beautiful lake that we don't have the money to put in. Is, is that what you're kind of getting at? It's, it's a similar vibe to that. Yeah, exactly. And I am actually surprisingly bunkers are, shockingly tough to throw out of when you're not putting and disc golf as well. Like running up in sand is very much yeah. harder than running up on grass. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's soft. That's soft what's sand. your favorite place to play? Like your favorite tournament? Like what is your absolute, you cannot wait to go there every single year and not just like the tournament because of the feelings you get. I'm saying the course. Well, the one I love the most recently, it's only been on tour for two years, but uh, I think Glendevere is our best venue. I think it looks the best on camera and it has the most beautiful picturesque holes and it's it's just what about, an awesome place to play. I haven't played there since uh, in two years and I know they switched it up last year. So what is like the style of course? And I asked that question because is there, are we just missing the mark on course design in general on the pro tour and adding all this extra stuff? Is that because we're missing the mark or are there courses that do challenge us in a way that with all our skill level and shots, is there a course out there that does challenge us? And then why aren't we doing it like that? I guess. Wait, I, I think I misunderstood your question. Your question. You asked me where I like to I would, play the bet most, or what course I think is the best. Two different no, no, things. No, mm. no. I was. I'm asking, what is Glendevere like, and is that a play? Is is do you like it because of the way it plays? Now, it's your favorite mm. place to play. So, does it play well? And if so, is that a type of course that then we wouldn't need to put? Um, all this hazard and all this stroke and distance or, or, um, 
if you throw here, you have to throw roller only or sand pit here, sand pit there, or adding those things to this course, would that may even make this course better? I think it would. I mean, we can throw out the roller idea. I just put that in there because I was running out of good ideas. But I think if we thought about <laughs> it a little bit more, we could, we could come up with a great system for areas like that. But let's just keep it with standstills right now. I think every course would benefit from standstill yeah. areas. I think every course would benefit from less OB and more hazard. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the, the layouts we play there. I think they're fine. I think they're good enough. And uh, the, I think the Glendivere layout we played last year had 17 mandos, actually. On There's a lot holes. of mandos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, which at first I got in, I was like, man, this is ridiculous, all these mandos. But the more I kind of thought about it and the more we played it, I was like, man, they could have used a couple more mandos to make the course even better, is what I thought at the end of the tournament. Okay. Um, I think it's not an ideal course. I think the best course we play on tour is uh, WR Jackson, but it has many flaws. Like there's a huge limit on spectators and the cell service sucks. So, um, yeah. I think Glendivere as a package has the most potential because it's close to Portland. It It's the sickest venue to come watch. They have a great restaurant and brewery right on site. And it's just a beautiful walk in the park. There's nothing to complain about. I don't think the courses are great. They're fine, but um, okay. it's not necessarily the disc golf I want to see the huge bomber shots. I mean, every course needs a bomber hole or two, but I, I a am lot. a huge fan of, of technical disc golf. And to it's back... Oh, go ahead, Yuli. No, I was going to say, it's funny to me that it seems like all the power throwers that I know, they consider themselves great woodsmen. You know, they're like, no, I prefer this type of golf, which is awesome to me because like, like Anthony, you would think that he would prefer, like maybe as a fan of the sport, he would prefer to like go to OTB because that's where he performs well at. But his favorite course is uh, the black course in um, Import or uh, Peoria. And then your favorite is W.R. Jackson. And I'm sure if we talked to Double G, he'd be like, no, I like going into the woods. It's like this classic thing that I feel like almost everybody lo loves, and it's slowly getting taken away from us, which is kind of sad to me. It is sad, but we need to find the perfect way to play with obstacles and still be able to have spectators there. Like we need lines of trees where we play through and the spectators are outside of the trees, yeah. um, which Glendivere actually has as close as we can probably get to that, um, which is why it's a great venue for disc golf as well. Um, and the WR deck, yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't cut it. Do you but, like I mean, smugs? I love smugs. <laughs> like Fox Run. My issue with wooded courses is that we often have fairways uh, with trees right in the middle. So you throw your intended shot and you just hit a yeah. tree, and then it's hey. just up to luck where your disc ends up. Yeah. And uh, I think the fluky factor that we have on wooded tracks is miserable because I can play the same round twice and shoot ten strokes different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough to take. This is what I'll say about those trees in the middle of the fairway. I hate them just as much as you. The problem is though, if you take out all the trees in the middle of the fairway and this, the, the, the tree line on, you know, the either side of the fairways isn't like super brutal. It makes scrambling so much easier. 
because now you can essentially make it hazard. Like, make it hazard. I'm with you. Done. I'm with you on that. Simon, I'm with you on that, brother. People hate having hazards and stuff like that in the woods, but you know, you just end up seeing players just go forehand roller yeah. or whatever uh, and just go all the way down the fairways and stuff and get as far down there. And then they get the same score as the person that, you know, threw a, a pure tee shot. So, um, yeah. And yeah, I, that's and I'll, ridiculous. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll also agree. I'll also agree with you with the more Mandos thing. I think what you're talking about is essentially, again, it kind of goes back to the artificial versus non-artificial when you can't plant trees, right? Putting a Mando on a tree saying you have to go around this tree is essentially making a wall of trees, an artificial wall of trees of like, you can't go this way because there's artificial wall of trees. Like again, if disc golf had millions of dollars for course design, you wouldn't have to put a Mando on that tree. You would just, you would just plant a bunch of trees right here. And everyone's like, all right, I can't throw that way. I have to throw around this way. We can't do that. So next best thing, Mando. Um, I feel, I feel like Mando's, even when you have tree lines like that are important because what I'm seeing with a lot of holes too, is there can be a big tree line, a tunnel. And if there's any little slight little bitty hole up there, mm. a lot of people are just launching through there to beat a lot of the fairway. And so I don't think with this golf, because of the imagination and the shot manipulation that people can do, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of mandos unless it's a complete canopy to where like it's impossible you know, you know what i mean you're blocking because with us you have to block out angles that are backwards even the only way to do it is is my uh, advertising way where you just put huge billboards of wood in the tree lines and you can put advertising on them you can't throw a disc through wood <laughs> think about that <laughs> question question Actually, in my post, I said, um, when I said get rid of drop zones, I, w I wasn't really um, referring to drop zones after you go OB and then you get a death putt to try and save a par. I meant m specifically mandatory drop zones. So usually mm. we have right now, when you miss a mando, the drop zone is usually like right next to the mando and you throw your next shot from there with the stroke penalty. Mm -hmm. What do you think... I, I just had this idea when I posted this for the first time and I thought about it and it, it sounds a bit ridiculous, but I think it kind of works and it might make it for a really cool addition to the game. Like what if, if you miss the Mando, you actually just play it where it lies. The Mando is missed out of play. You get a stroke penalty and you just play on. I think that would make for a really, really interesting game because sometimes you would intentionally miss a Mando because that was, that's how you would play the hole, but you would just take the stroke penalty because you, you still might think that's how you can be, get your best score. And you would see people playing the hole differently. I'll give one whole example here. Let's think about the par five at WR Jackson. Um, I think it's hole eight. It's you're mm. in this little, in the little hut and you throw along. There's these little two or three trees right in the middle of the fairway, like 400 feet down. Mm -hmm. Make one of those trees Mando, either left or right. Now the tee shot becomes way more important and people who can aim, the gaps on the right or left of those trees are big enough to aim for more or less. And people who miss it on the wrong side still go to their shot, but now they're throwing three instead of 
two. And people who miss it on the right side throw two. And people who want to throw really far and have less accuracy get way down the fairway, but they get a throw penalty. Stuff like that, I think, uh, could potentially make the game better. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate the, I don't hate the Mando thing. Obviously, it's one of those where I, I would have to definitely like think about certain holes and how it would play. I like anytime there's a mandatory, and if you miss it, you get. I like penalties for bad shots. Well, That's he's saying all you I, still, he's yeah, still you, saying you, you get, get a penalty. penalty. Yeah. No, no, I know. Yeah, no, I like, I like it. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind when somebody throws a bad shot and then is instantly penalized. I think that that should always happen. No, and but the play word live. What do you think yeah, of that? No, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it just depends on the, on the whole design. Like what if it's like, <laughs> then again, it, it comes down to like somebody being like, okay, I'm going to miss this mandatory. I'm going to throw it 700 feet. I'm going to go OB again, but then I'm going to tap it in for four. But people who go down the, and don't miss the Mando are probably either going to get a three or a four. Like that to me is like, it sounds a little ridiculous. <laughs> Cause I, I, I could see this happening. You know what I mean? Now what uh-huh. you're talking about, as far as the par five, that sounds absolutely fine to me because mm-hmm. of the way that the hole would play and accuracy off the tee is a premium. Let's let's do a hypothetical. We have a short okay. par three where the turnover shot is pretty challenging, but it's it's there. And but you have a mando like right off the tee, which is left. So you have to throw a turnover to clear the mando. And let's say it's a 250 foot shot, like short par three. And the hyzer is wide open and super easy. You're like 90% sure that if you throw the hyzer, you'll get a three because you get the penalty for missing the mando. And then you just make a putt to get a three. Now it's your choice. Are you going to try to get a birdie with a slightly trickier shot? Or are you going to throw the easy shot, take the stroke penalty, and take a three? Yeah, I feel Is like that really dumb, gone. or might that work? No, it's not dumb. The only issue I have with that, Simon, is I think I think a big... I like that in the sense of like, you have to make a choice, right? Because a lot of times we don't have mm-hmm. to make choices when we step on tees. Everyone just like gas, gas, gas. There's no thought process. So I like that aspect. The thing that is tricky with that aspect is how do you get a four? By missing your putt if you miss the Mando or by messing up the turnover somehow. So like, okay, so... I mean, a 250-foot shot is still a 250-foot shot. Can, yeah. I, can I add something to your hole? What, and why wouldn't you make hazard on both sides until it, so it's like an island? You make hazards on both sides so that the turnover, if you don't hit it correctly, you're probably going out of bounds so that it's a bit more risky as far as that. So you can take easy par, but if you go for the birdie, you bring bogey into play. So then you have three options. You know what I mean? I think, I think course design, I think after this discussion, boys, I think it's just freaking hard, man. I think it's freaking hard to make a good course. Yes, it is. I think it's just, I think it's just so hard because there's so many elements of where, you know, the one thing that I really would love to see. And again, I just don't know how we get there is I want to see 
Every single hole you step up to, if you play the hole perfectly, you get a birdie. If you play it well, you get a par. If you play it bad, you get a bogey or higher. And a lot of times we play holes that that is just not the case. It's like either birdie or par. And like you have, I mean, obviously, yes, there are times where you will miss a 15 footer and take a bogey, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where it's like, you're somehow forcing people to have to make a 45 footer or a 50 footer for par or, or they just don't even have, they mess up their, their, you know, this goes back to the value. They mess up their throws so bad that their best score now is a bogey versus um, use giving a, them a chance use a to hole for a reference. What do you mean? So there's obviously a hole out there that plays like that. Uh, what hole is it? That plays like what? You're either taking a par or birdie? No, no. That a really good shot gets you a birdie. A decent shot gets you a par, and a bad shot gets you a boat. I mean, it'd be like it'd be like USCGC hole 17 would be like the easy one right off the bat. Yeah. Right, like a, a great shot, you're throwing it to 20 feet, you make the putt. A good shot, you're throwing to 45, 50 feet, you miss the putt. A bad shot, you're rethrowing. So it sounds um, like stroke and distance is the answer here. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's other holes. I'm sure there's other holes. No, no, there is. Like there is. I was, I was but, thinking um, of like super tough part. I think that hole two at OTB was a really good hole. I thought that if you threw a really great tee shot, you got a birdie. If you threw a decent shot, you got a par. And if you threw a really bad shot, you were getting a bogey probably. Right. I agree. It was a good hole. Yeah. Simon, I want, I want to ask you one more thing before you go. Cause you said you did watch some of the Beaver state fling. Yeah. I watched all of it. Okay. Live. Um, Live, sick. Why is this not showing? Oh, this is the wrong thing. Okay. FPO and MPO. I was streaming the whole thing. So How I'm cool gonna... is it to watch? Gen... Sorry, Brody. I keep interrupting. No, 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 I missed the. Ace. Oh, you did. Dang it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, there was. Let me, let me just make sure I got this right. I think I do. Okay. All right. This is my point. Okay. Beaver state fling as a course. What were your thoughts on watching it? Um, can it just be like your quick overall assessment of like how, how entertaining it was, I guess. I mean, I have the huge advantage that I've been there many times, so I know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. If I try to blend that out and act like I was watching without ever being there and really knowing what is where and like where they're actually trying to go. Not great. Okay. So the winner, the winner was 31 under Eagle, right? We had multiple people in the field that shot 29 over 28, 23, 18, 17. I mean, we had multiple people that were 40 plus strokes off of Eagle. Okay. With that being said, because obviously silver event, we had a bunch of lower, um, you know, lower rated players, if you will, in the field. With that being said, hole one, 10% of the field took bogeys. Hole three, 6% of the field took bogeys. Hole four, uh, 6% of the field took bogeys. Hole five, 6% of the field took bogeys. Hole eight, not a single person bogeyed. Hole 10, 5% took bogeys. 
Hole 14, 7% took bogeys. I mean, what that's, I think the, at the end of the day, like that is a big issue with disc golf is we just have some holes that even if you put, you know, people that, cause I, I would say those numbers go drastically lower if this becomes an elite event and everyone's a thousand rated and up. I mean, that I think is a huge problem is you're, you're watching a course and you're just seeing, I don't know. To me, you're seeing birdies and pars, birdies and pars, birdies and pars. It makes it, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, I think adding hazard and adding standstill areas will help. If the problem in disc golf is that a great shot and a pretty good shot are almost always equally good <laughs> because yeah. putting is too easy. I mean, it's always been the issue. So that in the, the green, that in the group, I would say this too, Simon, if you threw, if you threw a shot to 300 feet, how, how many, how many times are you getting that up and down more than 275? If the green was just, if the basket was just in the middle of the field, probably same. That's also kind of an issue is like the difference of being 200 feet away from the basket and being 250 feet away from the basket, 275 feet away from the basket on majority of the greens we play is so small because the shots that we are asking players to throw into these greens are too easy as well. I think that's also another thing is like you can get away with putting being as easy as it is. A lot of these greens, you can throw 40 feet left of your target. 40 feet right of your target, 40 feet short of your target and 40 feet long of your target and make the same score. I mean, that is a ginormous area. Um, I want to say one last thing about stroke and distance. And then we'll it's let not, Simon go because he's been, he's been a great guest so far to, to, to listen to our stuff this whole night. <laughs> um, Sorry, 10, 12. I think, Jesus. I think this is a, this is my point with it. It's not the rule that I like. It's not the fact that people are going to get crazy penalized. Okay. Let's forget all of that stuff. The one thing I do know that it makes people do is think. And yes. it makes people nervous. And I think that's the thing that we're missing. Putting, you said, and you brought, and what, what made me realize this is when you said that putting was so easy, it is. So we'd have to change, we'd have to change the basket completely. Okay. Let's act like we can't do that. Then we have one thing to do, and that's to make throwing the disc harder. Now, this is fact. Hole one, round two. On any course, first round compared to second round compared to third round, final round, it's always going to be harder. And hole 18, to play for a win, the final round's always going to be harder. Even if it's a 350 dead straight perfect shot, it's always going to be harder because of what our mental does to us in that moment. It makes us think, it makes us nervous. I like stroke and distance because that would bring that to the forefront. Always. Everybody would always be worried. Okay. I could lose the tournament on this hole. It would make you have to be mentally tough and it would change the way everybody plays the game as far as that goes. And I say that with references to like the USDGC for some reason, we always bring hole 17 up and I think we can all agree that that's a good hole, right? Yes. And I think it's a good hole because of that, because of the nerves that it gives us, 
and how tough of the shot it is. And then final round USDGC in order to earn your title. I would hate if they got rid of that hole and then I won the tournament because it's like the, it's like the stepping stone. You have to get past that hole to be a U.S. champion. The reason why it's so difficult is because there's a chance you could take a seven on an easy hole. It makes everybody think it makes it nervous. And I think that's what we're missing in a lot of our shots in the game is we don't have that on a lot of shots, only a couple around or final round. That shot too takes, I think that shot also, I would agree with you, Yuli on the mental side. I think that is one thing we are lacking. I was talking, I talked about it a little bit. A lot of these holes we play, it's just all gas. There is no decision-making that hole. When you step up to there, you got to think forehand or backhand. You got to think what the wind is doing. And then you got to think, do I want to try to throw this to 20 feet or do I want to try to throw this to 40 feet? And if you're indecisive at all, if you're having a hard time to like lock in on that decision, that's when I think a lot of times you throw OB. Yeah, I think I think we can all agree that Yuli is right, that 17 is a great hole and it adds an insane pressure. And it's a very important thing for a sport to have pressure and making smart decisions and being clutched in the right moment. Obviously we need that. And I, I would be a huge fan of having a major championship with stroke and distance. I'm just saying for like your general pro tour, you don't need every course right. to be, Oh, I can shoot 10 under, but I can just as easily shoot 10 over. Like that's, yeah. that's I, love, not... I love that take actually. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah, a good point. I, I, I would love variety in our major mm-hmm. championships. Yes. Maybe yeah. some also in the pro tour, but I would love to see some majors that are uh, played on different style courses and played with different OB rules or just try some different things. I remember, uh, I don't know how long it is ago, but maybe six or seven years, USDGC did do a stroke and distance every hole. Mm-hmm. And it was a fiasco. Like it, like it was one of my favorite blowing up. It was one of my favorite tournaments I've ever well, played. Simon, do you but think what, that's because, like, do you it think like five because... hour rounds? It was a long round, but I remember, I remember it was the most focus I had ever been in a tournament and it was the most scared that I had ever played. And I remember looking around and just watching people just absolutely crumble. I actually played good that year. Um, and it's funny to your point, I came up to hole 18 and, uh, your point was, well, what if somebody throws a nice shot and it rolls out of bounds or it hits something and rolls out of bounds. This, This particular year I was on like the third or fourth card and I played the round of my life with the stroke and distance. Right. And I get to hole 18 and I throw a sidearm up, up the thing. And it rolled all the way back into the water. I threw it again, rolled all the way back in the water. And then I finally got one to sit down and I ended up taking an eight and I shot a 58 with the stroke and distance. So I do know what that feels like, but I also know that if I were to have chose to throw a backhand turnover, the likelihood of that happening would have been way less. And back to the point, dude, it was so fun to me to be able to play there and try to like focus and out golf people rather than just throwing shots and trying to get birdies. I think, I think we need one tournament like that. That is just a mental battle. And if you suck, you really suck. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that was Blue Ridge. I know both of you guys didn't play. That was I one of. The, oh, Yuli well, played it. Yeah, me and Yuli played it. That was like one of the more mentally exhausting tournaments I've played in because it, there was very few holes where you could just take a break and throw a shot. But I know you said like a lot of people like blew up on that course. My thing is like we're so used to playing courses where you have to shoot. 10 under par 12 under par every round to compete. I think some courses it's going to take people to realize like, wait a second, like four under is actually a good score here. And then all of a sudden we might see people play holes differently, be more aggressive or be less aggressive on certain holes. And now all of a sudden we're, we're seeing people actually golf and, and have different strategies going into it. To me, that's more fascinating than just like, all right, who's, who's going to, uh, putt the best today and shoot 15 under drew drew and I were talking yesterday and he was like in 20 something place. Right. And then, excuse me, he shot 11 under final round beaver state fling and he got like 16th or something. Um, wouldn't it be cool like to actually like play a great round of golf and beat a lot of people? Like, wouldn't it be cool when, if 10 under was actually like really good instead of average. That's what blue Ridge was. I, I shot yeah. like nine under or something. I moved up uh, the most spots since like 2018 or something. I moved up like 50 some spots that because like, in at, at that tournament, like a couple under par was really good. Yeah. That happens in traditional golf a lot. Like the sixth, seventh card goes out and shoots 62 and they win. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, that doesn't happen. We're seeing more people win from the second card. Ooh, wow. Gannon almost, Gannon almost did it on the fifth card at OTB though. Yeah, he did. Windy day. And those last three holes had a lot of out of bounds. Those last three holes are so good. Those last Craziest three holes are so good. Statistic this last weekend was I was playing with Nathan queen, the final round. He shot a bogey three, three, a bogey free three under. He shot bogey free three unders every round. Wow. How wow. how funny is that? He went bogey free for the whole tournament, shot nine under, miscast. Have you guys either? Uh, have you guys ever had a par only tournament round? No. No. Okay. That would be kind of cool. Maybe on a hard course. Maybe not on an easy course. That would probably not be that cool on an easy course. But all right, uh, Simon, you got anything else? We, we've we've held you hostage here long enough with our takes. Um. Actually, I have something I would talk about, but I don't have to. If you want to no, move no, no, on, no, no. I'm you're fine. On. No, you're fine. Um, I know you always like to talk about pet peeves a bit, and I thought of one. And this one is the scoring system we're using, where we have to have PDJ Live, then we have a UDISC oh. official, then someone has to back up with a scorecard or another PDJ Live or whatever. Like, that's one of the most annoying things to me. And I don't understand why the pro tour is like hammering off onto that. Like I, I think keeping score is one of the simplest things. And if you mess it up, you should be penalized, but they always say like, Oh, we don't want to see anyone get their score wrong. And I'm like, if you can't, if you cannot add up 18 times three, then you deserve <laughs> to be last place. Like, come on. Like what's, what's your, I don't uh, want to have my phone out every freaking round. We have a UDIS guy. We don't need PDJ live. We, and then we what? have a paper scorecard and at the UCGC, everyone has to freaking do it. Like, 
give us a break. Like one guy does score and then he gives it to the next player after five holes and we're done. What's your, uh, what's your feeling on playing like a 250 foot hole? Everyone parks it and taps it in. And then you get to the next hole and they're like, all right, Yuli, what'd you get? And you're like two. And they're like, Simon, what'd you get? And you're like two. Like, bro, we all, we all just tapped in. We all got twos. I don't, that, that I, I get it. It is the rules. So I get the people that want to abide by the rules. You're supposed to actually verbally apparently get everyone's score that way. This is where I'm at Simon on that. Cause I'm with you. The whole scoring system is a crazy thing to me. You might disagree with me. I like if, uh, if us three were playing in a threesome, I, I want to give you my scorecard. It has my name at it on the top. You give your score to, to Yuli. Yuli gives his scorecard to me. I keep Yuli's score on the top, my score on the bottom. You keep my score on the top, your score on the bottom. And then it's really easy to keep your score and one other person's score. And then when you get to the very end of the tournament, you rip off your score on the bottom. You line them up with the person that took your score and you can just easily see three, four, four. Yep, yep. yep. And then add it up and we're done. And I don't ever have to ask what anyone got. Now, obviously on a crazy hole where Yuli throws OB four times or whatever. And I'm like, dude, what'd you get? Did you get a seven or an eight there? That makes sense. But if I'm just keeping my score and Yuli's score, I should never have to like ask. And then I think pace of play that actually could save like five or 10 minutes around from people having to wait. Cause like we do that right now. If like, if Simon, if you're doing the score and you're slow to get to the T pad, we're all standing there waiting for you to get there. And then you have to get your phone out. Then you have to open the app. Like I'm with you on, on, we need to figure out a better way to do a score from a bad scorecard. No, I've never been. No, I have been. Yes. I have been not from me adding it up from somebody else before or after you accepted your trophy, Simon. Has that ever happened? <laughs> I, cause I, re- I really want that to happen. I really want that to be like, and your MVP <laughs> open winner, Simon Lazat. And then Didn't it turns out. Will ones? I think so. It's happened before several times. And Wait, in it's happened and they haven't, they haven't changed it then. See, I was hoping <laughs> that would, I was hoping that would happen. So they would change the award ceremony situation. <laughs> no. Um, Cause you technically have not won the tournament yet when you accept the trophy. Correct. Correct. And it's also very awkward for a lot of players. Cause they don't know what to do in that situation. You, you, you're great. You figure it out. You're like, I'm just going to sprint around and give everyone high fives. You, you, uh, well, you have, I do that. You know why I do that? <laughs> Cause it's so awkward for me just to stand there yes, and everyone's exactly. staring at me. And I'm just like, I don't know what the hell to do. I'm just going to run around. Um, yeah, that's most of my life. I just try to not be in the awkward situation. <laughs> well, they put they put players in a weird spot when they like as soon as you tap out, they just like put a mic sometimes in front of you and hand you a trophy, and you're just like, I don't even have time to process this. My scorecard's not even done. I haven't even shook hands with the people I've played with. That's another pet peeve of me. I think I think we need to do the award ceremony differently. I also hope one day we can play in threesomes. I think oh, that would, would uh, that would, would be awesome. It. Two hour rounds, just get out in and out, and then we would have more time to sign autographs and be happy. We're not coming off of a four hour waiting on every teapad round, and we just want to go eat and go to bed, and then we have to sign this for thirty minutes. Ooh. Do you do you think that actually would help live coverage? We talked about this a little bit before you came on. 
if our rounds weren't four hours on live and they were two hours, I I really think so. Yeah, yeah. You would think, I think right? Like there'd be so much less downtime. I mean, I that's like a big be, the reason why would be more dynamic. Yeah, I feel like that's everybody's biggest problem. Um, is why post uh, the post product is so is so loved is because people don't have time to, to watch it for four hours. They can or six hours. They can just watch it the next day in 40 minutes. And I would say too, I would say another, another issue with lives. We're just throwing a bunch of issues out. Another issue with live that we have right now is the fact that we have such limited camera. We're just showing a lot of shots of people that are not even in the tournament and their shots aren't good. Um, if we had more cameras, we could pretty much drop. Let's say, let's say we stick with the foursome, right? If someone has this blown up and they're out of it, we can drop that person from coverage. You never see that person really on live. And we can start showing other people that are in the tournament that are making moves or playing well, like that. That's a huge thing as well as we're kind of locked in to, if you're on lead card and you play bad, you kind of just have to suck it up because all your shots are going to be on live. And I think that takes away from it, right? Like if you and Yuli are in a battle back and forth shot for shot, and then all of a sudden Brody's over here and I'm 10 over par and I'm like that. I feel like that kind of kills the vibe a little bit. Like you guys both pure your shots. And then here comes Brody stepping up to the T pad and I hit first available and watching it live. You're just kind of like, uh, okay. I don't know. I could be wrong there. People might want to see that, but maybe not. Uh, what know. do you guys think about that? The first round featured cards are like the same 10 guys just rotated around. Isn't that you super unfair and like Ooh. really annoying? I think you it's have super to do unfair, it. really annoying. What about this idea? We start Wait. as foursomes and then Wait, we cut and then we're twosomes. Don't get off of Simon's eye. I, 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 I want to talk about science thing first, because there are a lot of pros that will push back on that. And, you know, I think you have to do that though, Simon, because if you put together, uh, uh, if you start moving people around, like people aren't going to tune in, right? Like, isn't that the problem? If you're not, if you're playing in a tournament and we can't see you play the first round, like that's an issue. I guess it comes back to the not enough camera issue. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're, if you're playing on the sixth card, uh, the last like, uh, six to last card, I guess on the first day and you start playing really well, but not well enough to get a camera to yourself. No one's going to see any of your Does, shot. Do, the, do you think it's really important that the last tea time is the featured card or could it all be no. scrambled and then you just choose whatever's the hottest card that is random then you follow those guys i i think i think the reason right now the last teeth the only reason i'll say this the only reason i think the final times are featured cards are because they're filming fpo as well i think if they didn't have to film fpo mm, yeah. if they didn't have to film fpo i think you could randomly uh, have tea times go out. You could still like say, Hey, we want these people to play together. Cause I think that is still important, right? Like I think it is still important to put certain players together, but their tea times should be random. I don't think, yeah. I, I think that's the unfair part right now is exactly. if you're one of the top players, you essentially never have to play with backups because you're going to play slow and you're the last card out. You don't have anyone behind you. 
Um, and you, you know, you have all day, whatever. There's a bunch of reasons that people have for why it's unfair, but yeah. I would say that that would be the big one is, um, I don't know, but then the problem there too, though, Simon, is you have to have, you would have to then put the, both the feature cards next to each other. Cause again, the camera thing, right? So you, you know, <laughs> and, all, and gosh, it's so hard with the camera. Cause now what are you going to do is, is live coverage now just from 11 in the morning till, or sorry, let's say live coverage now is like 10 30 in the morning until one. Like what, is that what we're doing? Cause you're not going to like your live, your live part would just be for your feature cards. <laughs> so, then, so you just have all these people on the course. You're like, all right guys, we'll see you next week or we'll see you tomorrow. We'll let you know who's in the lead. Yeah, yeah, those are all tough. good points, and I guess there's that's right tough. now there's no other way to really do it. And it's, I don't know. I just one part of me feels a bit frustrated and sad for everyone who never gets on these feature cards. Um, you shouldn't. I mean, though. To put you put shouldn't. two, put two big names or three, and then one random guy every now and then. Like the random guys just never show up. Like, I, think I they wish they would rotate some someone, but I, I always round one. I play with the same five people every tournament, and then you play with them for the rest of the tournament too. No, and then I play with Yuli round two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, we haven't I'll, played together all year, Yuli. What's going on? Come on. I think we know what's going on. <laughs> Hand up, my fault. <laughs> I, I feel like though simon for the people that are like upset that make you feel like bad for getting the feature cards i think you just have to tell you remind yourself that like the value that you bring towards disc golf towards tournaments towards ticket sales towards disc golf network subscribers is vastly outweighs their value and for them to be able to survive on tour a lot of it has to do with how well the best players play. Like you becoming bigger and getting more fans and more people playing disc golf benefits everyone on tour. Yep. And so like, that's something that we can't miss. Like we need to have Eagle, Simon, Calvin, Paul. We need to have Ricky. We need to have all these people in the tournaments. More people are going to watch. Hopefully more bigger purses, like all those things kind of happen. So that's where I just say like, it's tough. Cause I know you, you want to be fair and you want to be like, this feels bad. You got to look at the disc golf, uh, disc golf as like a product. And right now you're one of, if not the most valuable product and to put you somewhere where no one can see you just doesn't make any sense. And if you're a pro on tour and you don't understand that, then you're an idiot. <laughs> well, no, I, hate makes, to, I hate to say it. No, great, no one cares. No, no one cares. A, no one cares to watch a, you play right now. I'm sorry. It's, it, it is what it is. That's a great point because you do hear a lot of people complain about it. And it's like, if it didn't go this way, then you wouldn't be on tour. Probably there would be no money for you to do this. If it didn't work the way that it's working right now. And to, to a certain you standpoint, all, and you always have you always have one option in your control. You could play really good all the time and make the feature card. Eventually. And then you, and then you can be one of those people. Like yep. then, then you are now those people. And we've seen it. We've seen certain players that are like Aaron Gossage is a perfect example. A couple of years ago at OTB Open when he popped off, no one had any idea who he was. If he would have been thrown on a lead card the next day, 
people have been like, why the heck is he on the lead card? Or sorry, the next tournament, people have been like, why is he on the lead card? He had one good finish. Who cares? Now, if Gossage gets on a lead card, no one, no one is questioning it. And then there's a bunch of people that are really excited to watch him play. So like that's if you're upset that you don't ever get it on lead cards, feature cards, play better. Play Simple as that. Play better. Make people want to watch you, and then you will be on the feature cards. It's not the Disc Golf Pro Tour's job to make people want to watch you play. Yeah, I, those are all great points, and it's just the way it is. It's not ideal, but it, it's it's what we have to do right now. Yep, that's where we're at. All right, Simon, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for cool. sticking around as long as possible. As always, you're always welcome. So whenever you whenever you got another hot take that you want to fire off, just let me know. We'll get you back on the show. All right, sounds good. Um, are you playing Seattle this week? Yes. Yeah, we, we both are up there. Cascade Challenge, baby. All right, good luck. And uh, I'll see you next week in Portland. I can't wait. Title defense yes. try number two. Number one <laughs> failed miserably. <laughs> All right. Well, safe travels, brother. We'll see you in Portland. All right. Later, Peace. Simon. All right. Simon Lazat, ladies and gentlemen, always, always fun to talk with him. I thought that was going to be like a 15-minute segment. Yuli, I should have known better. I should have known better. Um, all right. Let's jump in real quick to MPO. Cause I do have some things to talk about here. First one, first one, Beaver state fling MPO Eagle is back in the winner circle after missing cash. Uli. He missed cash at OTB, a course that you would think would suit his game very well. Comes yeah. to Beaver state fling takes it down and, and essentially never really looked back. He ended up shooting 57, 57, 56 takes it three strokes over Andrew Presnell and Calvin Heimberg. Um, there was a little bit of a push there towards the end with Calvin, but he pretty much had it in hand. The first thing I want to talk about is uh, just the fact of how on a course like this, he was able to pretty much just like overpower it in a way he starts off the he starts off with a couple of those like 400 foot um, par threes at the beginning of the round. He throws mids on him. He's just yeah. he's just lacing mids, getting getting birdies. Then he, on hole five, which I thought a roller was an option, I didn't think you could get to where he got. He threw a massive like overstable distance driver roller on hole five around the tree, got all the way up into circle two, ended up missing the putt for eagle but put himself in a spot. I mean, he's just, he's just getting birdies on the front nine very easily on some holes that are tough hole nine. One of the tougher par threes on the course, he throws his like overstable fairway driver on this crazy flex line parks it birdie. He's seven under through nine. I mean, he's shredding at this point. Then um, on a course two that doesn't really require that many forehands, one of the holes that does require forehand is hole fourteen. It's got that cool little green up on the right hand side. Yeah, he throws a pretty nice forehand in there on the final round. He throws, you know, it's still his forehand. It still looks funky to me. It's not his old full forehand, and I don't know if we'll ever see Simon's old forehand. Yeah, it's really soft. It's really it's, soft, but it's still far. Yeah, but it's, it's like it's like this soft little throw where there's not a lot of speed 
that goes into it, but it's crazy how far it still goes. If you watched, if you just watched it, you didn't watch his like where the disc went and you just watched yeah. him throw it and you didn't know who Eagle was, you would think like he was a newer player. That's kind of what it looks like. It doesn't look like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it doesn't look like someone that has a great forehand. It doesn't like it. It still looks like he's like, it, it looks like he's protecting his shoulder or something, he, but he's yeah. found a way he's found a way to throw it without it causing problems. And I really want him to come on tonight. Cause I wanted to hear kind of his thought process of like what it is he's going through with his forehand. Because is he, is he actually trying to work to get back to where he was? Or is he just shown and proven to himself? Like, my game, where it's at right now, heard, is good enough. I heard this, and it was I was walking, and he was he said something to somebody next to me, and it was something about I'm gonna have surgery at the end of the year. Wow. Okay. I don't know what that means, but I heard that. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, maybe he's at the point where he's just like, it doesn't matter. I'm just gonna throw him because it looks like he's throwing. The- it looks like he's throwing hurt. I guess that's the best way of saying it. It looks like he is like powering through an injury when he throws. And I, I want yeah. to know how hurt he is. Does he have pain? Is he icing afterwards? These are all yeah. things that w- I, I was going to ask him, but regardless, I mean, he's still able to throw really good forehand shots, 300 feet away. And that's pretty much all you really did need. All you needed on this hole. Did you see his shot on hole 15? Yes. Is, is that potentially the craziest shot that we'll see on tour? Just as far as this, like the optics of it, is that the crazy back to back rounds? He landed in a similar spot. The <laughs> previous round, it was just like for, for those that, for those it that went this way, for those that didn't see it. And those that are listening, essentially what he did is go out to a field, aim 400 feet in the air at like a 70 degree angle and throw a backhand as hard as you possibly can do it twice and see how close your disc land from one another. He was able to throw that shot can sit like accurately somehow. I don't, I don't know. It was a wild looking shot. I was, it put him in actually a really good spot. And then he like biffed his upshot, which was unfortunate. He threw like a, he didn't throw a great sidearm kind of yanked it over to the left. And so he ended up taking a par, but he was pretty much in the best spot. I saw anyone all week. So then he's, uh, he he's got at this point, he's got a decent lead, a couple strokes and he's heading now into hole 16 or hole. Um, yeah. Hole 16 hole 15 was really where the tournament was won and lost. Calvin ended up taking a bogey on hole 15 and then, and then the whole card ended up birding 16 and Calvin took a par. So at that point in time, the tournament was pretty much out of it. Like he put Eagle played pretty smart. He played for par on 17. He wanted nothing to do with having to deal with like throwing a bad upshot on that Island hole, took his par, made the easy birdie on 18 back in the winter circle, really just like start to finish, just kind of methodically just shredded the course. And it was impressive. It was impressive. Now, before we go down the leaderboard, I want to, I want to talk about this because this shocked me. I was looking on here and then I just looked over and I saw $3,000 to the winner. And I actually 
without knowing that Drew had tweeted anything about this, uh, Silas can pull up my tweet. I tweeted out saying, um, let me see here what I say. I said, was surprised to see the payout for winning the Beaver State Fling was $3,000. The tournament felt a lot bigger than that. There is still a huge difference in sponsorship money versus tournament earnings. Now, Drew had a similar take. He kind of he went a little bit different route on it. Drew ended up saying, um, Beaver State Fling factual stats, which I think is... First off, factual stats is is maybe something that I want to use in the fu- in the future, because uh, I guess if you just say Beaver State Fling stats, they might be incorrect. 2013, first place, 3,679 players. 2023, first place, three thousand dollars, 112 players, a difference of six hundred dollars. Um, even though there was 33 more players and he kind of goes on to talk about there was more players, 10 years, inflation, all these things. What are your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on this, man? What are your thoughts on these, on these purses? Do we, do we have an issue here? Do we, do we have a problem here? $3,000 for an event like this? I do. I do have a problem with it. And this is, this is my I guess this is my problem with silver series in general is I don't think we should be getting points for them. I think that we should have the elite series and we should only have elite series tournaments as far as the pro tour goes. I think this, because I think this is a great opportunity to have a, a, a separate kind of tour for other players to earn tour cards, to be able to get onto the elite series tour. And then the payouts would make sense because it's a separate tour. It'd be like our corn fairy tour compared to the elite series tour. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I, I think no, I know going into a silver series, that it's going to be a small payout. It just is going to be a small payout. And if it's, if it's not, then great. But for the yeah. most part, that's what you get. That's what you're signing up for. Now, if I see that at an elite series, we got big problem because mm-hmm. that, that, sh- that shouldn't be happening, but it's a silver series. And, uh, the facts that the competition is getting so crazy that everybody's playing every single weekend to play these silver series to try to get yeah. the points. Yeah. It's, it's just getting to me a little, a little, it's not ridiculous. Cause it's coming from me who I, I played 50 tournaments every year for the longest time or 40 tournaments. Mm-hmm. And so I get wanting to play every single weekend, but I think this golf's gotten to the point where this could be a great spot for it. silver series pro. We don't play them elite series. Those are the ones we play. What do you think about that? I don't, I don't hate that. I I don't hate that idea. I think also doing away with them would also, I think benefit the pro tour focusing on less events to really try to make those events better. I don't think Portland needs to have three events within, you know, a couple hours of them. You know, Beaver State Fling is only like 40 minutes outside of where the Portland Open's going to be. And where we are this week is only like a two hour drive north of Portland. So I think sometimes when you're trying to fundraise and get money into these tournaments, 
you know, if I'm a company, why am I putting money into Beaver State Fling or Cascade Challenge when I know the Portland Open is coming, right? So I think that's tough. And I'll leave it at this. This this is this is where we're at right now. This is what it feels like. And I don't, I, I don't like the feeling. And again, this is not, I'm not really, you know, I don't really care personally whether I make three thousand dollars or three hundred dollars at tournaments. This is more just like the growth of the sport and hopefully getting more players out on tour that can actually make a living and not having it so focused on sponsorships and more focused on if you're not sponsored, you can come out and play well and like make a decent living on tour. That's what I'm like striving for right now with how it's set up this tournament, $20,000 of the, of the purse was from entry fees from players. We, or our sponsors, if you have your sponsors paying your entry fees through that money into the pot, then $10,000 roughly was added to the purse from outside cash. So whether that be the title sponsor or other sponsors, that's what it is. What this feels like right now, now I made this analogy earlier. So if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, but what this feels like right now is I'm calling you up Yuli, and I'm saying, Hey man, uh, I'm going to have a bunch of people over for poker. It's a hundred dollar buy-in just you in. And you're like, yeah, you and uh, you know, 10 of our buddies all come over to my house. We all throw our hundred dollars in and we're like, all right, that's what we're playing for. And then my parents are like, Hey kids, don't worry. We just ordered pizza for everyone. Like that's, they are the disc golf pro tour. My parents are the disc golf pro tour ordering pizza for everyone. And we are basically paying, playing for our money. That's, that's a lot of times what it feels like because the majority of the money in these tournaments are coming from the players themselves with the entry fees. And I know a lot of people are like, well, why are you guys playing entry fees? Like you guys shouldn't be paying. If you're pros, you shouldn't be paying entry fees to play on tour. I agree with that. The problem is if you take entry fees away, Eagle doesn't win $3,000. Eagle now wins a thousand dollars, you know, and that's where we're at right now. And I think sometimes it's tough to, to realize like maybe disc golf, maybe the pro level disc golf right now is like so much smaller than we actually think it is. Cause we're playing, I mean, we're playing for $3,000 like Eagle. E- I mean, Eagle might not be a, a good example because I don't know exactly what his uh, salary that he makes is something, but like Ricky's in the field. Ricky's making a million dollars a year and he got 11th place and made $786. Like what, what are we doing here? Right? Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's a, a little bigger than that. I think part of the, the lure is to get on coverage um, to be able to take us and people be able to watch us. That's part of the lure of this. And so you're right. A lot, unfortunately, a lot of us could give, I won't say the word to, you know, what's about whatever money you make, unless it's a crazy significant amount of money. There's probably about 20 people where that really doesn't affect you that much. Mm-hmm. but then there's another portion where it does affect them. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and so those are, those are the people that we're fighting for essentially is like, right. How are some of these people on tour? 
you you get you know we get that question a lot on social media and that's and that's why i feel like we need to be focused on the elite series making sure that that's a place where if you get to that spot you're going to be financially stable mm-hmm. and these other tournaments are a place to where the dream is you can get to this spot so it's a fight right you go to this tournament and it's like it's a small payout, but if you win the tournament or you get top five, the payout could be massive in the future mm-hmm. by getting to the elite level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's where I would love to see the game get to, to where you're right. We, the, the pro tour doesn't focus on them completely, not them, but that tournament completely. And it's focused on getting as much money into the elite series tour as possible while having this other spot for people to go to make a little money to keep going on that tour with the dream of getting to the spot where it's like, if I get there, I make a couple cuts, maybe I make 50 grand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I've had a, I've had a pretty bad season this year so far I've cashed at, I've played 10 tournaments. I've cashed at all 10. I've I've capped at seven. Yes. I've cashed seven of my 10 tournaments I've played. And obviously I realized my, my, uh, you know, my finishes haven't been great. I've made $3,618 since February. Like I, you know, if I didn't, if, if I didn't have sponsors, right. And like that was, this was what I was doing for a livelihood. Like this is just not this right now. Disc golf is not a sustainable, sustainable job for a lot of people. It's not. And, and, it, and it's, it's crazy. Cause I was talking to somebody, a really good player. And I'm, I mean, I, I'm not going to say who it is, but we were talking about Europe and I'm like, yeah. he, he was like, yeah, I want to go to Europe someday. And I'm like, Oh, you're not going to Europe. And he's like, there's no way I could afford to go to Europe. And that like took me back a second because I had to realize like, oh my gosh, like this guy is like right now way better than I am. And he's not able to afford to go to Europe. It made me like, think like, I want to help this guy get to Europe. Like he deserves to be in Europe type thing. You know what I mean? mean? Because it, that's crazy. There are some top 30 players in the world right now that if they're not smart with their money, if they, you know, retire, if disc golf doesn't change and they retire, you know, they're done playing disc golf in however many years, they actually might not be able to be done with playing disc golf in however many years, right? Like the money, the money is just not, I don't think outside of sponsorships, the money is just not what you would think it would be right now. And again, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's just, it's, it just shocked me to see $3,000. That's all. All right. Uh, we got a couple questions I want to run through before we wrap up tonight. Um, the first one, Yuli, I just want to get your thoughts. Grip locked had a debate on this. Hunter and Trevor were kind of going back and forth. I'm curious to see what you have to say about it. Being someone that's been in disc golf as long as you have and has played in all over the United States. What side what coast are you taking for better disc offers are you taking east coast or west coast who has the better disc offers i would say it depends on the style of course oh okay i would say i would take east coast golfers as far as woodsy players and i would take west coast golfers as far as like traditional golf courses okay so if you had a thousand if you had a thousand rated 
golfer on both sides. Like if you had a thousand rated golfer that played in the woods on the East coast and a thousand rated golfer that played in the woods on the West coast, you're, you're taking the East coast thousand rated pl- player. Depends on the course is what I'm saying. Um, that they're playing. Oh, I'm saying if they're playing on a wooded course. Uh, yeah, I'll take East coast. Okay. All right. There you have it. East coast woods better than West coast woods. If you have issues with that, you can find Yuli on his uh, Twitter account and blast him there. Well, well, I think you're going to find most of your better golfers on the West Coast in California. Arizona has as good a uh, few good golfers. Um, those are the first ones that come to mind. And the style, of course, is like in California. Once you go up to like, let's say, uh, Grass Valley, California, up there in Tahoe, Santa Cruz a little bit it's more woodsy, but for the most part, it's more wide open, like Huntington beach and, and, uh, different things, different spots like that to where it's not as woodsy there's woods, but it's a different style than going up to like, you go to Massachusetts and most of the courses are going to be heavily wooded. Super technical. Yeah. Okay. Drew on Twitter ask, is there a reason pro disc golfers don't get more than one sponsor? For example, Discraft and Jimmy John's or something. Is there some kind of exclusivity clause with everyone or is the market poll not big enough yet? Would love to see a disc golfer sponsored by Barstool. So I think there are, are there are disc golfers out there that are sponsored by multiple companies. The issue right now is the only companies that are really willing to throw money towards disc golfers are disc golf companies. So we are super limited. Yuli, for example, you're sponsored by Discraft. You're also sponsored by Ledgestone. You're also sponsored by Zuka and Bushnell, right? All of those companies have ties into disc golf in some way. Bushnell probably being the newest one, but they do now kind of have like a disc golf brand to their company. With that being said, like there's just not that many outside companies that are willing to put money into disc golf. And so unless you're like at the elite elite level or you're like someone like Yuli that has the influence that he has, you're just not going to get multiple, you know, sponsorships. You're not going to get a Zuka cart or a grip or a squatch bag to spot to want to sponsor you. So what you're going to end up doing is you're going to sign a contract with a manufacturer. That's going to be basically tell you you're going to wear our apparel. You're going to use our bag and you're going to use our discs and you don't really have any other contracts coming in. So it's not like you're going to be like, Oh, what the heck is going on? Um, all right, we're going to skip that one. Cause we already talked about Ali Smith. Okay. This is a good one. Yuli, what are you taking? I'm going to kind of rephrase this question. This was from Nicholas Schaefer. I'm just going to rephrase it this way. What do you want to, what are you going to take? If you want to try to win a tournament, are you taking a, number one or let, I'll say a, are you taking a hundred percent C one X and C two X or C two putting? So you don't miss a putt inside of 66 feet. Are you taking B 50% of the holes you park or are you taking C a hundred percent fairway hits. So which one is likely going to win you a pro tour tournament? Yeah. Like which one would you take going into a tournament? Like what, which of those three stats would you be like, sign me up for that one? Uh, one. Not missing a putt inside of 66 feet. And it's just 
for the pure fact of not missing a putt from circle two. Circle one, not even that that big a deal. Circle two, I find myself at a lot. Hmm. Hmm. All right. I think I think obviously that might be a little bit on the course. I think that I think one wins you most of the time, but I could see how maybe um maybe like a three and a two might come into play on a course that has like a crazy amount of OB. Yeah. Of where you could you could lose a lot of shots to the field OB. All right, Jimmy Ray. Do you think the FPO is being subsidized from the MPO? If so, what's your opinion? So is essentially the MPO is, is MPO essentially the MBA and is FPO, the WNBA is the MPO paying the FPO. And if you want to hold off and I'll go first, I think, I think the right answer here is I think the disc golf pro tour has taken this, taken the stance that MPO and FPO is one product. I don't think they look at them as two separate products. I think they look at them as one product. They sell them, they, you know, they sell their ad space as one product. They don't say, Hey, you can, you can throw your ads on MPO, but not on FPO. They're doing everything as one product. If you buy tickets to the event, you get to watch FPO and MPO. You don't have to buy separate tickets. Everything is thrown in as one product. I think it's fair to say just based off the numbers on like YouTube videos and stuff like that, more people are paying attention to the MPO side, but I think the FPO side brings a very good value as well. The only issue I think moving forward is going to be in the payouts. And the only thing I could see is if the, if, if one side FPO or MPO, cause it could happen on either. If one side drastically gets way more, popular than the other side, but they're bringing in the same amount of money uh, or sorry, they're, they're getting the same amount of money on their uh, payouts. I think that could pose a problem. I don't think necessarily it's there right now because there are a lot of people out watching FPO at these tournaments. So. No, I think it's, it's definitely like you're saying, it's one product as far as what they're trying to, trying to make it. But as far as what I would think that the public would think it would be the opposite, that it would be their separate things. And so maybe that's something they should work on with their marketing crew. Mm. Um, because I would, I would be willing to bet that most people are like, Oh no, there's the MPO and then there's the FPO side. And it's not one thing. Uh, as far as, the payouts um eventually that's going that's going to change as disc golf grows eventually eventually it has to there has to be a line drawn to where they have their own tour and we have our own tour and that would be the best case scenario for everybody because if it gets to that point that means both sides have grown to be able to flourish by themselves right mhm so when that happens, I don't know what the pro tour is going to do. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have no idea, but that the time will come to where that happens. I believe that I don't w- with the fact of like the FPO using all the same resources that the MPO are, this would be a good Jeff spring question. I don't know 
how much money would be saved outside of the money that we're, we are currently pumping into the FPO for like added cash outside of that money. I don't really know not having FPO play in a tournament, how much money that sa- saves the pro tour. Cause we're all, we're all basically using all the right. same stuff. Yeah. I don't think they would save any money per se. I, I feel I like they lose money. That. Right. I think people think that though. I think like okay. people think the pro tour spends money on the FPO when in fact, I think they just spend money in the MPO and FPO both use it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're really necessarily spending money that the, that only the FPO is using. No, I so. mean a little bit, a little bit here and there for like making new T signs for T pads and, um, things like that, having to have extra baskets for practice. And yeah, I feel like that, there's a little bit, but it's not significant. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it'd be something that we would notice a big difference. I think mm-hmm. the big, I think the big difference is literally just in the, uh, the cash, the added cash. Yeah. All right. A few more questions here. We've got one from Joe. Should more disc makers like Discraft and Innova allow their players to use other companies, bags like Atlas and Squatch, or will companies go the prodigy route to where they have to use the bag of the disc sponsor? I think unless you, you have something else to say about this, I think this kind of goes back to what we kind of mentioned a little bit. It depends on who you are as a player. I think if you are a big enough player to where you can get an actual bag company outside of the disc manufacturer to sponsor you, I think either the, the, the at that point, the manufacturer, the, the disc manufacturer would have to match or pay more for you to use their bag than the the bad company right you agree with that yuli yep mm-hmm. okay pretty cut and dry last one uh this is a good one this is from glory glory man united what's the etiquette for spectators and clearly ob disc can a spectator help by grabbing the disc you want to no. you okay yeah speak some, knowledge here. speak some knowledge it's here. a it's a big no-no so if you throw it into the spectator area there are times where somebody will grab it because it's clearly OB and then bring it to you. A spectator should never touch a disc, even if it goes into the water and this goes for spotters as well. A spectator or spotter should never touch your disc ever unless you ask them to, or unless they ask, Hey, do you need this? And then you can be like, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll take that. Cause a lot of times, even if it's the foot off, I want to see where I landed and make sure that it's out of bounds. I need to see that with my eyes. If you pick it up, then I'm like, well, does this person even know like where it was? And then it's just this big old thing. So yeah, just don't touch, just don't, don't, don't touch, don't don't touch stuff. That's not yours. (laughs) Don't Don't touch. It is crazy though. Like, I think some parents don't raise their kids that way. Like I was definitely raised. Like if it's not yours, don't touch it. There's been times where I've played like disc golf or I've been like on a field doing like, uh, practicing on a field, like soccer field. And there's like kids, kids would just like walk up and like pick up one of my discs and just like freaking chuck it. And I'm like, dude, I would be terrified as a kid to ever do some of these kids don't care. They just don't care. I'd be so scared to ever do something like that. Um, Oh, tea times are up, by the way. Nice. Um, okay. We are going to talk about your dominant performance last week, Yuli. 
Thanks. Uh, we haven't given Steez Nerd a shout out recently. So shout out to Steez Nerd for uh, hooking us up. And if you guys are still watching this real quick, we got over a thousand people still watching this. Do us a favor. Click the like button right now. Let's get the likes up on this video. That helps these videos tremendously. Um, so make sure you drop a like and then make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And then follow all of our new accounts. Uh, it's tour life pod or tour life podcast. It's all in the description. Uh, we appreciate it, but let's get the likes up real quick. Drop some likes. All right. Yuli absolute dominant performance last week, picking Eagle five points, picking Gannon three points. I went over. I, I went straight dud mode. Didn't get a single point. And you met you with that. You Matt, uh, you, what am I trying to say? You get, you have gained a massive lead, five point lead over me, 37 to 32 going into the cascade challenge, which real quick for those that haven't played you, you want to describe this course real quick. Cause you've played out here uh, a few times, right? Yeah. What, what, so should, what should people be expecting this week? So it's just a wood, it's a woodsy track, uh, traditional fairway. So it's not like crazy tight. They're well manicured fairways, few trees in the middle here and there, but you're going to see a lot of 320 foot to 360 foot par threes, a few really tight par fours that are around 700 feet and a 900 footer out there. So a couple holes are in the wide open and you uh, are throwing into the woods and a couple holes you're in the woods throwing out to the wide open just a couple but for the most part it's a very woodsy track a more of a traditional golf course from back in the day to where it's uh you know a lot of par threes if you can hit the first gap because a lot of these holes have like a, a main first gap if you can hit this first gap you will you will see double digits there will be people shooting yeah. double digits out there yeah. if you aren't hitting the first gap you're done so have fun, have fun. Uh, this is a course that doesn't need a lot of OB in the woods. Uh, the, the rough is, is brutal. The way the holes are shaped are tough. It's, it's a, if you like to scramble, it's, it's a really, really fun course to play. Cause you get so many opportunities to throw like really fun shots. So, all right. Um, I think, you know, what we should do moving forward. Yuli. I think whoever is not in first, whoever's first. in first, Whoever's not in first goes first. Yeah. Is that what we want to do? Yeah. Whoever's not, whoever's not in first goes first. Okay. I am going to take, gosh, there are some forehands out here. You have to throw some forehands. I'm going to take first pick. You know what? Give it to me. Give me Richard Wysocki. Good pick. I'm taking. Oh, wait, you picked. Yeah. You picked Isaac last week. Yeah, I kind of blocked him for this tournament without knowing it. He would have been a good pick for this week. I'm picking Nicholas Antela. Good pick. I've shown really good signs inside uh, at some wood courses as well. Almost won like, almost won the tour championship, I believe last last year at a at a very Nevins was a very wooded course. Mm-hmm. All right, give me. Wait, I go again, right? You do go again. Good. I'm glad I didn't tell you my pick. That would have hurt me, my soul. 
Mm-hmm. I'll oh. take I'll take Conrad. James Conrad. Okay. I'm going Wood Shredder. That is going to be. Uh, wait, who do I want to go right now? Yeah, yeah, I want to go. I'm going to go Wood Shredder. I'm going Wood Shredder, Alden Harris. Mm-hmm. And for my last pick, I am going to go. Oh my gosh, who do I want to take here? Oh, is he going to play good? No, I don't think so. You know what? Coming off of a very good second place finish, give me mm. Andrew Presnell. And I'm going to take, he hasn't been playing particularly well this year, but a lot of sidearms out there. I'm going with Andrew Marwe. Mm. So battle of the Andrews. Marwe Nader. All right. There you have it. Let us know what you guys think of our picks. Who, who did the better job moving forward? I think we nailed everything. Um, Yuli, was there anything we missed? No, no. Okay. We, we dot our I's and dot our, our cross our T's this episode. As always, guys, we really appreciate all the support you have shown and given us. Make sure you go follow us on all those new social media accounts on the Tour Life podcast. Thank you to our guest, Simon. Uh, we wanted to try to get Jennifer Allen on tonight. We wanted to try to get Eagle on. Uh, wasn't able, unfortunately, they weren't able to come on. Um, but yeah, we'll keep pressing forward, try to get some more interesting people on here to talk to. And uh, if that's it, We appreciate everything. We'll see you guys next week. See you, Brody. Later.